Captain's log. Stardate 92455.6. It's been 37 days since the takedown of Gaul and his Vaudoir associates. Following the operation, the USS Prioritas underwent repairs and refits. The crew granted much needed shore leave. Now we have returned to the Delta Quadrant. The Prioritas and her crew are here, not as soldiers or protectors, but as explorers. There's a palpable excitement around the crew, and certainly among senior staff. In spite of this, we must remember to remain vigilant. We must remember to be prepared. And our damage output was 18.4 thousand per second. It's certainly adequate, in spite of the increased difficulty coefficient. Well, we'll definitely get more out of that for sure, Captain. We're in the process of upgrading our warp core and a couple of our console output modules. I'd guess another 3 to 4% easy. And we've got two more beam banks in the process of upgrade as well. So Starship damage output shouldn't be a concern. My worry is boarding party countermeasures. Security teams have been sufficiently trained. However, a proper boarding tactic would isolate and occupy my teams simply because our security resources are finite. I request basic boarding party countermeasure training for all shift supervisors and departments. Said training will increase survival duration and decrease security team isolation percentages. We'll get it on the schedule, Commander. Shield power levels and effectiveness should also reduce the risk of boarding party teams, no? Of course, Captain. Shield systems are running at optimal levels, and the deflector dish has been tuned to recharge and harden shield resilience should the need arise. Any concerns regarding engineering team's efficiency? Nope. Uh, So long as the bridge crew remembers to rebalance power levels and dump some extra into auxiliary systems, we should be able to take a few swings from a Borg cube. May I interrupt for a second? Of course, Doctor. Why are we having a committee meeting on Starship Weapons Systems and Shield COEF whatevers? We've been in the Delta Quadrant for 13 days, almost two weeks, and this is the third staff meeting regarding battle readiness. You know how many meetings we've had on long-range sensor efficiency? None. We aren't here to fight, Captain. We're here to explore. Shield, coef, whatevers? Okay, everyone. That will conclude the meeting. Please have your written reports on my pad by 0800 tomorrow. Dismissed. Dr. Cakes, may I have a minute? I'm sorry, Elijah. I've just had it up to here with battle preparedness. I thought... Look, Doc. We aren't at war anymore. This is our third staff meeting regarding battle readiness. Why? Because the universe isn't safe. The Delta Quadrant, for what little we know of it, isn't safe. Captain Archer had phasers on the NX for the same reason we have them on the Prioritas. You want to stick around while Jason and I talk about sensor readings? Feel free! As far as exploring... I've got a good feeling something is just around the corner. Bridge to Captain Leandros. Leandros here. Captain, your presence is requested on the bridge. Report. I believe this is something you may wish to see for yourself. On our way. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel.
Welcome to Priority One. And now your hosts. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 200 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Wednesday, November 26th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday, December 1st, 2014, only at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hey, guys. Happy 200th. Thank you. Thank you. 200 episodes. Can you believe it? Hogwash. Poppycock. It's over four years of episode content covering Star Trek Online, but this has been a phenomenal year for Priority One Podcast. We had a phenomenal time at Vegas uh, just a few months ago, and then again in San Francisco. So 200 episodes. It's just astounding to me. All right, Cookie, why don't you tell us what we have in store this week? This week, we check out interstellar science. In Star Trek Online news, things are a little quiet this week because of the holidays, but there's still plenty of discussion to be had. In addition, we're joined on our 200th episode by Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, to give us the scoop on recent changes to Delta Rising systems in addition to what might be coming down the pike in the coming weeks. Finally, before we wrap the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Admirals, thanks to the support of loyal listeners like you, we've reached our monthly financial goals through our Patreon campaign. Priority One Podcast is now, without question, a collaborative effort with you. Because of your contributions, we don't have to worry about the expensive, dedicated server costs and maintenance. And because of your contributions, the lights stay on from month to month here at Priority One Podcast. And I can tell you, it's very difficult reading this stuff in the dark. We are just as humbled now as we were in August, and we will continue to produce this show thanks to you. Captains, we need to take a moment and thank these supporters for getting us to 200. Admiral Saval, Brian Kohler, Isaiah Dorsch, Jamie Moran, Jeffrey Miracle, Jerry Lewis, Ken Braun, Lee Malon. Michael Millette, Ray Borg, Sean Williams, Sacha Gavisaka, Tim Defner. Captains, each and every one of you has helped to bring Priority One Podcast to where it is now, to episode 200. And because of your support, we'll continue to podcast for another 200 episodes. And even if you can't or haven't donated, you can support us by dialoguing with us. Your comments, questions, tweets, Facebook messages, smoke signals... In-game chats, they all mean the world to us, and it lifts our spirits to engage with you. So even if you're a long-time listener, share your thoughts with us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, in-game, however you can reach us. A few last pieces of housekeeping. We're looking for another audio editor to join the team and assist with the weekly production of the show. If you've wanted to join the team, then reach out to us. Send us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit the website and click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam. Additionally, we will begin experimenting with broadcasting our recordings live on PriorityOnePodcast.com starting with episode 201 next week. Keep an eye on our social media platforms for showtimes. All right, Admirals, let's trek out interstellar science with a very special guest. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. And joining us on our 200th episode, 
is our very dear friend and Priority One's very own science consultant, Dr. Robert Hurt. Dr. Robert, thank you again for joining us this episode on this momentous occasion and for schooling us a little bit in some science. Well, Elijah, I am so happy to be here, and it's a special honor, I think, to be here on the uh, 200th uh, episode of Priority One. So, uh, you know, happy birthday or whatever is appropriate for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But for this week's Trek It Out, I wanted to take us on a bit of an interstellar voyage. Yes, I am referencing the new movie, that, or new-ish movie, that's in the theaters now, Chris Nolan's latest science fiction epic, Interstellar, which actually has a remarkable amount of interesting science folded into the story and into the visual effects themselves. Uh, now... I will try to deal with uh, relatively spoiler-free material first, but I'll give you a spoiler alert later. But anyone who's seen the trailer certainly knows that this movie features uh, uh, both a black hole and a wormhole. Now, of course, Star Trek, the motion picture, was the first film ever to feature a wormhole. And that was, you know, only really a few years after the uh, scientist Kip Thorne at Caltech had come up with the solution of Einstein's uh, general relativity equations that showed such a beast could exist, a, uh, a shortcut between two points in space-time that you know literally would fold space onto itself and allow a very short route between two points that might be separated by a lot of space. Well, in, of course, Star Trek, we remember the wormhole as a uh, literally kind of rib wormhole tunnel thing that ran off in the distance in a very kind of two-dimensional like tunnel or a a three-dimensional tunnel but running off in a single direction what's fascinating in interstellar is we actually get a chance to see a wormhole really the way it's mathematically conceived to be not a flat hole in space and time but a three-dimensional hole that's a hole from any angle that you look at it And there are some incredible visual effects based on actual science calculations of what light would do passing through a three-dimensional hole that opens out into another three-dimensional space in another location. Uh, This is a a kind of refreshing change from pretty much the entire movie tradition up to this point that uh, everything is flat, you know, flat wormholes open, flat uh, doorways open. Uh, when space is really three-dimensional and we have to think in these higher dimensions. Of course, the other remarkable thing in Interstellar is we go to a voyage to a black hole. And again, for the first time ever in film, the visual effects artists who worked on Interstellar worked closely with Kip Thorne, who provided the mathematics necessary to calculate how a beam of light actually gets distorted by the gravity field around a supermassive black hole. Uh, in fact, not just a, a stationary black hole, well, stationary, but one that has uh, an internal rotation, uh, angular momentum, spin. Basically, a black hole made of material that, before it got kind of collapsed down beyond our ability to see it, actually had a lot of rotation to it. And as a result, not only do we get these incredible images showing a disk material that seems to warp both above and below this, this kind of black void in the center, which is representing the fact that, you know, as you look past the black hole, you would actually get to see both sides of the disk, the underside and the overside, because it's light, you know, basically, you know, will be distorted around the uh, hole in space-time. 
But there are some other really interesting effects. Because this black hole is calculated to have uh, rotation to it, you actually see there are distortions and, and um, offsets in the uh, horizon right around the black hole and how the disk appears on one side versus the other. This is all hinting at really complex mathematics on how uh, space is really distorted in an uh, asymmetrical way when you have a massive black hole that's rotating. Gotta say, it's definitely a step above the thing they sort of call the black hole in the J.J. Abrams 2009 film that was some strange flat piece of thing that opened up. What appeared to be a lightning storm in space. This is a much cooler trip in and around a uh, black hole. Now, I'm going to venture into a little spoiler territory here, so if you haven't seen the film and want to, I will warn you, uh, mute this for a minute, but... If you're a real Star Trek fan, you've got to realize after you watch Interstellar that let's just say there's a lot of um, nuances hinting at storylines we're familiar with in Deep Space Nine in it as well. So Interstellar's got a few Star Trek roots at its core as well. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I will The McConaughey. Instead of the Cisco. <laughs> the McConaughey. Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing, of course, I will really encourage, if you live anywhere near a film full-frame IMAX theater, do see Interstellar in the way that it was actually shot. Uh, Chris Nolan shot about a third of the movie in full-frame IMAX, and with the sound turned up and this screen that's just completely immersive around you, you will never, ever experience space the way you will in this film under that uh, viewing experience. So I highly recommend that. And if you want to read more about the science behind the visual effects of the movie, which, in fact... First time ever, the visual effects are going to be featured in a couple of refereed science journal articles. Uh, there's a great Wired article that we will link in the show notes that will tell you more about that and show you some of these incredible uh, black hole renderings. Uh, it's definitely a film that some people love, some people hate, but uh, uh, I think that kind of puts it into a fair game comparison with 2001, which very much had that same reaction when uh, it first appeared on screens uh, back at the end of the uh, 60s. Very cool. I definitely feel like this is a must-see. Well, Dr. Robert, thank you so very much for stopping by and, and providing us with some insight on some major pop culture going on right now, the next uh, Christopher Nolan film and, and the science behind the film Interstellar. Uh, well, my pleasure, and uh, of course I, I felt I had a a certain obligation since uh, uh, Kip Thorne actually works about 100, 200 feet from my office in the next building over. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so very much. And don't be a stranger. We have to have you on again soon. Absolutely. Just uh, keep watching the skies. Have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you would like Dr. Robert to weigh in on? then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Admirals, this week is a little light on Star Trek Online News, probably because of the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States, but... That won't stop us from discussing... Hello? 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 Who, who, who's there? I, I'm picking something up on subspace. Hello? Hello? Anybody there? Yes, hello? Who, who's there? I, I recognize that voice. Who, who could it be? Hi, this is Captain Felcher of the USS Avenger. 
Brandon! Legendary. <laughs> What's up, guys? Happy 200th. Wow. Thank you so very much for calling in and talking with us and joining us this fantastic episode, our 200th episode. Brandon, it's great to have you because without you, you're the start of all this. You were the man that started Priority One Podcast, you and Mark. So None of this would be possible. It's true. It's true. Over t- uh, Now, I've been at the helm since episode 33. Um, so I, yeah, I've got, I've got about 200 episodes under my belt, uh, including some Trek, Trek it out and specials, but 200 episodes, that's, um, that's almost th- four years now, right? That's four years ago. It's crazy to think how, uh, how fast time has flown, uh, over four years. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. August, wasn't it August, 2010? When you started? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think it was August or just before crazy four years have just flown by and wow how much has happened in these past four years absolutely so what have you been up to since uh leaving perfect world entertainment what have you been doing like there's a lot of rumors i guess that i i still hear about um but uh i left in april to move back home to southern california to be with family um my sister was uh going to be giving birth uh to my first niece and my grandma basically she came to me and said that her final wish was for me to be closer to her so i said well um that means i have to leave my dream job but i really i always place my family above work and i will leave my dream job <laughs> for my family which i did uh and thank goodness is a well i got married in july but um and congratulations thank you every i'm always the believer that everything happens for a reason so i'm just happy to be back down here and with my family and close to them but i definitely miss the team up there and especially the players we're glad that you can join us today and we're glad that things did turn out um for you the way you had hoped in the best way possible um, what are you up to now? What's going on now these days? Right now, um, I'm the lead community manager on a free-to-play MMO FPS title named Firefall. Um, and uh, it's down here in Orange County. Um, I lead a team of six, four here in the States and two internationally. And uh, doing good. I'm going to be finishing up my work here on the project shortly and uh, uh, starting a new adventure, which uh, I'll share more details once they become more concrete. Absolutely. Well... We wish you the best of luck, sir. Ooh, man of mystery. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, you guys as well. Anybody who gets you is lucky. Is very, very lucky and fortunate. Uh, too kind. Because you, sir, you know, don't you, not only just for priority one when you were when you were at the helm, but uh, even at Perfect World working with on Star Trek Online, uh, you are not one to give anything less than 110 percent. So you, sir, are are a true robot is really what it boils down to. Oh, thank you. I expect to see that in a formal LinkedIn uh, recommendation tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Very nice. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into Star Trek Online news. Cookie, why don't you tell us what's going on? Well, the winter event is coming this week. It starts Thursday, December 4th. Are you guys ready? Um, maybe. So ready. Come on. Actually, I'm not ready at all. I've done terribly at the winter events. I really got to get my game face on this year. I'll help you. I'll help you. Good. I need it. Like last year, I started from scratch because it was my first one. But this year, I'm so ready. I have my gumdrop gun. I have frosted boots, which I've been wearing around ESD in preparation for this event. And I have my winter outfit ready to go. I'm braining, I mean beaming with excitement, and I can't wait to find out what's in store. You can be transported to Winter Wonderland by visiting Q either at Earth Space Dock, New Romulus Command, or Kronos. 
And again, this is on December 4th, correct? Yep. Thursday, December 4th. Now, there have been some interesting rumors going around, correct, Jace? Absolutely. We have two main facts pointing at what we might be seeing very soon. First of all, some of the console changes that have come out with the Breen consoles from the last two years of ships, uh, when they updated them to include the Tier 5U variants uh, for compatibility, since the Tier 5U ships are technically a different ship, the same way a fleet ship is different from the regular ship, uh, the consoles now list a Tier 6 Sartheln carrier. Ooh. Tier 6, I want that. This will be the first tier six carrier. That'll be nice. That's what it's I was true. wanting. That's Very the kind true. of ship that I wanted. If I was going to get a tier six ship, that's the kind I would want a carrier. See, I'm torn. I'm a big carrier captain, but I hate Breen and I hate Breen ships so much. <laughs> Why is that? I just, I don't like them. Ever since the story missions fighting against the Breen, I, I didn't like fighting against them because of their attacks and their subnucleonic beams and they were just annoying. And I didn't like how they were mean to the Deferent. Aww. Aww. But in addition to that, we have some corroborating evidence from Al Rivera, who posted a list of hangar pets that were due to be updated and maybe accidentally included Fleshbreck frigates and Blethchoas fighters on the list. So, Brandon, you were always in the game doing community events and uh, even before when you were working on priority one you would get in the game and, and participate and get the community involved during events like this are you looking forward to this winter event totally i am especially since this is the first piece of content in the game that i have no idea about i knew about delta rising and things going in um, before i left the winter event is the first thing that i had no idea because i didn't start working on that for probably a few months after i left so super excited to see what's new i'm sure they've got some tricks up their sleeves you know it's q we're dealing with here so he's always got some magic about uh, so looking forward to it totally i'm gonna have to agree i'm gonna have to agree with the uh evidence around the new ship it's just it's too telling to uh to not be true so i'm gonna wager that that's what's gonna happen now that's surprising a tier six giveaway like that especially you know um with the fact that they just launched tier six ships with delta rising just on October 14th. Not to me. Well, do keep in mind it's not really a giveaway. You're going to have to log in. You're probably going to have to log in and do the daily race for, what is it, 20, 25 days? Yeah. Right, but it's definitely easier than having to earn dilithium or exchange that to, to Zen. I feel like I deserve it, though. <laughs> yeah, I think the the holidays and the seasonal events has always been around being as generous um, as possible with giving out really cool ships for free. I'm going to totally take credit for this, but um, there was a lot of feedback after the summer event. Um, no, I'm sorry. After the winter event last year that... Um, it was hard for players to get the ships on all their alts. So I compiled everyone's feedback into a really succinct, really constructive report for Steven D'Angelo um, and gave that to him. And he says, you know what, for the summer event, we're going to uh, make some changes to make it easier to get the ships on an alts. And I totally saw that it was implemented and I was really excited to see the players' feedback at work because that was something I directly passed along and uh, they were committed to make that happen. Yeah, oh, that's great. I remember that. That was a much-loved change. Yeah, that was a, a great, great change because... As I recall, once you went through all the days, whatever it was, 25 days to unlock it on your first character, any alts only had to do the race or the event once, and they unlocked the ship. Yep, that's right. 
if I remember correctly. I totally hope it's going to be available again because um, because of the whole, uh, you know, what I was going through with the cancer and the wedding and everything. I could not jump in for about five months, so I totally missed the summer event. So I was totally bummed, but on my first day back, um, the first thing I did was to went to Ryzen and started using my power board just to check it out. But hopefully can get that chip again next year. In terms of release notes this week, Captains, it's actually kind of short. Um, there really wasn't anything big to announce, and it was actually released a day early on November 26th. Uh, of particular note is the fact that daily mark boxes no longer have the bonus applied to them during bonus mark weekend events. So, Brandon, go ahead and explain that to us a little bit more. I think what it's saying is, so for instance, if I go run Borg Disconnected Advance, and it's my first run in the the daily period, I think, what is it, twenty every 20 hours, um, you get that special mark uh, bonus mark box, which is the daily. I think it was giving an exorbitant amount of bonus marks during the weekend event, and you're, it's not meant to be uh, tied to that. So it looks like the daily mark boxes, which is that you can get once a day, that has the giant bonus in it of, I think it was 55, I think that's what I got, um, doesn't have the extra percentage on top of that because it's already a bonus for the day. This event is actually active today on Wednesday, and uh, uh, the calendar, the Ingen calendar doesn't show that, but uh, Cryptic bumped it up. They activated it a day early because of the holiday, and uh, that was confirmed um, in the dev tracker by uh, Smirk. But uh, what I found, and what a couple other people on the forums are reporting right now, is that none of the Delta Mark boxes at all are rewarding bonus marks. Uh, which is definitely a bug. Um, I haven't tried a bunch of different events. Yeah, I saw DevTracker tweeted uh, Farctoid looking for more corroboration about that. They're trying to track it down. Yeah, I, I logged in and opened a bunch of boxes that were Delta boxes, and, I, and this is not the bonus ones, but even the regular ones, and I wasn't seeing bonus marks being applied. I was seeing the, you know, the, the regular base amounts plus my bonus mark pools, but I wasn't seeing a 50% increase on top of that. So I think that's a bug. It appears to be working for all other mark types. I was able to run a couple Dyson events uh, today and saw that those are working. Those are giving bonuses, but the Delta ones might have uh, might have been forgotten to be updated. Now I've got one more point of, uh, of issue that I've seen and that's that uh, when I completed the mirror event, they give you a box of 250 marks of your choice that you can select. Uh, and I tried checking that. Uh, I haven't claimed it yet, but usually when they give a bonus mark event, when you click on that box to claim it, you'll see the bonus amounts listed. And I didn't see that for any of the types in that box, so I wonder if they made a lot of the boxes exempt. Because it's still listing as 250 marks of my choice, not, you know, what which should be 375. Doesn't that only happen after you open it, though? No, it didn't used to. It used to actually change the numbers in the box when you open it. Well, you have to open it and find out. And our next little coverage of the release notes is actually for Tribble, the Tribble server. The biggest update, this is of particular note, considering that last week we had Jesse Heinig on the show uh, to discuss the upgrade system and some of the costs involved when creating something like a superior tech upgrade. Now, he had gone into some detail and shared with us some of the changes that were on the whiteboard for players to expect in the coming weeks. Now, he was good on his word. And so what we're looking at here is that there is a reduction of material costs of uncommon, rare, and very rare components. So, for instance, where, where once it was required 
to have five uncommon materials, it's now three. Or for very rare, where it was five, it is now one. Or where it was eight, it is now only two. So, particularly with the very rare components, those, we're seeing a significant drop for those. I mean, from eight to two, that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, agreed. And as far as calculating the costs of the upgrade system, a lot of people had run into that bottleneck around rare components also. And so having them reduced by almost half will help a lot as well. Cool. So, Brandon, what's your experience been with the upgrade system? Have you played with it much? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, so far, I've only used upgrades that I got from my operations pack and ones that I've looted. Um, I'm I'm really behind on crafting since I wasn't in for a few months. So when I came back for Delta Rising, I started all my crafting stuff up to level 10 and two things and then five, six, and seven in the others. Uh, so still working on that. And I won't really start um, working on other upgrades until I get to 15 um, just so I can get those superiors but um, unless I buy them from the exchange so I I upgraded a couple things like a couple of my TAC consoles um, and my shields and I think one weapon um, but I've just been spending time on my main I haven't really touched my alts yet um, I kind of feel that it's going to be hard to touch my alts uh, for a long time because I'm like the type that like wants to get everything done on his main character and then work on all the alts at the same time. Um, I don't think I'll touch crafting on my alts, um, which is fine. Uh, you know, need the titles and things like that, but it does there are some cool traits you can get. Um, but I'm I'm really just focusing on my main and um, which is kind of a bummer. So I, I think that's been the one kind of downside I've seen is that. Um, I haven't spent any time on my alts, and I really like playing on my alts. Um, but I just really focused on my main because all the upgrades, and it'll probably be a long time. But I'm in no rush. I I kind of learned to um, kind of take it easy and just enjoy, and um, you know I, I don't turn it into a job um, because I have a real job. Um, and I think that's important for players to remember. I always remind them, even on the game I work on, and I think any MMO you look at, is just to, to go things at a good pace um, and just have fun with it. And there's no rush. You know, your character will be there. And uh, sure, you may do a couple, a little bit less DPS in, in matches or whatnot. But as long as you're having fun, that's what matters. Let me ask you this, actually. You brought up a, a good point. Do you think gone are the days of... You know, eight-hour grind, spending the weekend in front of your computer and working with your team to max out a character or go into a dungeon and get that elite gear? No, I mean, I think they totally exist for a lot of players. Just, um, uh, it's just my own, I think it's my own personal philosophy. Like, I think everyone has different um, wants and desires to get out of their gaming time. And, you know, like I mentioned, and I don't want to keep bringing it up, but, you know, I kind of went through a lot this summer and it really put some things in perspective. And I use my gaming time now as a time to relax and enjoy and have fun with friends. And if I'm not having that, I'm not playing that game. And I'm having so much fun playing STO, just playing with fleet mates and, you know, running queues, but not running to grind. Um, just running because I want to go blow up some Borg or um, some of those nasty new bugs. Well, hopefully with the changes that are coming down the pipe now on Tribble uh, that will eventually hit Holodeck, players will feel relieved um, at the costs of developing things like superior tech upgrades. Um, now, this weekend is a bonus Zen weekend. 
Unfortunately, by the time you listen to this episode, Admirals, you will have uh, missed out on it. But hopefully you took advantage of that Zen bonus because then you can you know, find a way to convert that into something that you'll be uh, able to purchase tech upgrades with. And hopefully the cost will dive in the coming weeks. Speaking of our interview uh, with Jesse Heineck last week, he did comment on the forums, right, Chase? Yes, he did uh, post a follow-up. A few people asked about the ability to a little bit better target exactly what the outcome of your crafting is or to be able to customize the modifiers or re-roll them without paying the full price of making a whole new weapon. Maybe uh, sort of like a disenchanting, quote-unquote, system to break an item back down into some parts and reuse it, that kind of thing. Uh, So here's what he had to say. We've talked a lot internally about ways to deal with getting mods that you want, re-rolling mods, item deconstruction, and so on. Implementing it will take a lot of additional programming time, so we'd like to do a new feature when we settle on exactly what it is we're going to do, but it'll have to be scheduled and will be a fairly major addition. Since our choice was to get R&D into play immediately and add that later, versus not add R&D without it and potentially delay R&D system by months or even a year, we wanted to get it live, especially so that you can make tech upgrades and work out the best solution for customizing or changing mods as an additional feature. So it is in the works. So we're looking at, in theory, a year of development before they can implement that? I don't know. I mean, I think that in if they had held it, sure, we were looking at another several months or a year. Yeah, think about it. They might have other things, other systems work they have slated in between, so they would have had to do oh, I see. back and forth. I guess I, I always thought it was just an easy kind of like, you know, a couple of days of coding to add in this feature. I just I figured changing stat bonuses or mods would not be that that hard but maybe it's uh, a lot trickier than we think look at what happened when we gained the ability to upgrade items that you know a lot of things kind of got every time a fix went in something else got broken a little bit even with people testing it and trying it out and reporting you know pages and pages on Tribble before it went live so you can see everything that gets changed changes five or ten other things well, I think that the changes that have been announced and coming to Tribble will certainly ease the, the development uh, for players to upgrade their ship items and modules and consoles. So, But it, it would be nice to be able to change the mods. And, and that was, you know, when the, the upgrade system was first announced and we had our Vera on the show, that was one of the first questions we asked. You know, will you be able to change your mods? Uh, so it's something that players are really hungry for, that ability to select or modify those modifiers on an item and have control over what it what they are so just generally brandon what have your thoughts been on delta rising what have been your likes what have been your dislikes you know what what type of recommendations would you make if possible as a player sure um i've really loved the story um star trek voyager was the series that got me into star trek um my dad told me you need to watch this i said no i don't like star trek uh and uh because I think I've mentioned this before because I think it's I've only seen Deanna Troy up on screen with some counseling scene I never got to see any of the spaceship stuff because I love space I loved it as a kid and he's like no you need to sit down and watch it sure enough sat down watched it mind blown and uh, here we are um, so it was really cool to see the continuation of the story um, and also the level cap uh, increase and um, some things that I don't like, like I mentioned, um, I feel like I can't play on my alts as much anymore, um, just because I really am focused on my main, wanting to upgrade again casually, like I mentioned. But um, but I don't want to start working on them until he's all up and going, because he's my namesake. And um, yeah, any advice I would give is um, 
to continue listening uh, to player feedback. I think they've been doing a, a good job listening and uh, making changes appropriately. Um, I think we've seen some really uh, good increase in communication coming directly from the development team, like posts in the forums, um, from um, Gorman Gonzola and from Charles Gray. So really cool to see that kind of communication out there. I'm a strong believer that um, the key to a happy player base is open and transparent communication and from whenever possible from the development team directly because, um, you know, the community team is great at providing feedback um, back and forth, but when you hear from a developer, it helps build up that trust that the player base has uh, with the development team and can hold them accountable to their word. And when you see it, just like you talked about seeing Jesse's notes on Tribble, um, it helps you um, build up that trust and, um, you know, uh, that sense of being listened to. And that's one thing that, you know, Cryptica has always done. I mean, even I think back in the days of City of Heroes, they've always been very communicative with the player base. Um, and there's always been a dialogue. And, you know, the they've continued that and, and they uh, do their best to calm the masses but you're right. It's been it's something that uh, is very important, and I think that players very much appreciate. Um, but you know what, though, sometimes damned if you do, damned if you don't. Sometimes it is, and um, I think it's better to be um, it's better to be damned if you do, um, just because anytime you have that opportunity to have the team speak with a player, um, you know, you're talking to um, the people who are taking time out of their lives to to play what you've worked on and. Um, I think there's nothing better than being able to have that open dialogue between um, the development team and and the player base. And I think it's really important, really a core value um, to a strong community and to a player base that's loyal. Cookie, we have a special announcement, don't we? Yes. In conjunction with our the celebration of our yes. 200th episode. Um, I'd like to call this, well, I'm going to introduce a new segment. It's called Nerve Tonic News. Just when you thought okay. there wasn't enough news about Nerve Tonic, there is. And I'm going to talk about it every week here on the show. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just <laughs> Feels that way. It feels it. No. During my downtime while visiting Cryptic Studios, I filmed a mockumentary that tells the scandalous story behind Nerve Tonic. You guys know what Nerve Tonic is, right? The tall drink of seduction that brings all the boys to the yard? Well, now all the mysteries behind this tasty tonic are revealed in my short film, STO Secrets, The Truth Behind Nerve Tonic. You can find it on our YouTube channel right now, youtube.com forward slash P1 Network. It is a little lengthy. It's a little under 30 minutes, but it was a lot. <laughs> it's fun. Cookie poured her heart and soul into this mockumentary, uh, and you see a side of the Star Trek Online team that you normally wouldn't see, and it's a fun exciting little adventure and we invite you to trek it out only on priority1podcast.com or on our YouTube channel and I want to thank everyone at Cryptic and Perfect World that allowed me to film them for this project I had an amazing time with them and they were such great sports I mean they came up with such great stuff for this video and most of it if not all of it was totally improv they did an amazing job well Brandon we cannot thank you enough for guest hosting with us during this monumental episode of Priority One Podcast, our 200th episode. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule, for joining us, and for contributing in the discussion. 
we miss you terribly. The fans miss you terribly. The community misses you terribly. Uh, so it's great to have you a part of this. Thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, it was really all my pleasure. Keep up the great work. Congratulations on 200. Looking forward to the next 200. And uh, hope to see you guys in Vegas if you're going to be out. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this 200th episode of Priority One Podcast. Let's move into our interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Joining us for this momentous episode of Priority One Podcast is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Al, thanks so much for joining us on our 200th episode. Ace, momentous. Congratulations on 200 episodes. Thank you, thank you. It's been fantastic, it's been a wonderful ride, and it's great to hit this milestone. It's huge. That's a long time. So we'll look forward to uh, 200 more. I'll be on by then, I'm sure. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump in. We have a lot to talk about with uh, Delta Rising having released in October. A lot of change has trickled through over the last couple of weeks and uh, players have been vocal about some of their concerns and as well as uh, many of the things that they enjoyed. Last week, for instance, we had Jesse Heinig on the show to talk about the upgrade system and to answer some of those player concerns. And we'll get to that a little bit, I'm sure, as well as right now, probably the hot topic, the skill system and player progression. So let's talk Delta Rising. Since we didn't have a formal interview with you during our visit to the studio, what are your thoughts about the launch now and uh, where we're at six weeks later? Well, we were really, really happy with the launch. The launch was really smooth, right? If everyone, we didn't have a server bump. We didn't have any... The launch was probably the smoothest launch we've ever had, especially for something of that magnitude. So that even got noticed by a lot of press. So we were very happy about that. And then we had a tragic bug like a couple of days later. And then that kind of put a little unfortunate uh, sad face on that. But we resolved that and we got through that. But yeah, that was the end of a lot of work. And I'm just most excited and most proud of the uh, of what counts most. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the story content, right? And you know, we spent a lot of time on that story trying to deliver a really good story star trek story for everyone and hopefully one that resonated for everyone as a star trek fan and hopefully one that gave a lot of people a lot of surprises and we're working on the next story for the next year try to meet or beat that for next year yeah it was an amazing story it was incredible. Anyone finished it? Yes. Yes, I have. These two both have gotten all the way through it. I haven't yet. Elijah, you did get through it. I did, yes, yeah. I got to level 60, and I, I okay. actually did the mission on Thursday, this last Thursday. You did the bonus episode? Yes, I did. Oh. See, that wasn't that hard. You're already 60. No, I, I, but it, I, had to, <laughs> I had to think really hard to get to 60. Well, you're smart. He was scrambling <laughs> like before the show to get to 60. So that he... Okay. You know what I did? I had one of those one-hour XP boosts. Yeah floating around from you know back in the day on oh, the ancient ones that's just an xp boost isn't yeah but not the pools like we have now mm-hmm. right yeah how would you compare or contrast this expansion with the release of legacy of romulus well probably the biggest difference was that legacy of romulus was something targeted towards new players as well as bringing back returning players and you know as an expansion with a new faction it was everyone come in and play at the same ground floor and play through so it created a huge spike for us right as far as everybody coming in new players returning players and old players wanted and all coming at the same level and playing everything at the same time it was like our biggest spike we've ever had 
both in money and in number of people playing. We actually had a rocky weekend start with that one. That was actually a really tragic bug with Legacy of Romulus when we launched it because there was a number of fix-up scripts. There was a number of fix-ups going on, which caused a lot of server crashes. As I remember, Steven D'Angelo and a bunch of engineers were basically just sitting there and watching the queue. It says, okay, like the queue's full. It's like, okay, go ahead and let 12 more people in. Okay, I think we can handle... Okay, let five more people go in. So we're just like manually just letting people trickle in as the fix-up scripts were running. So it was a little more of a tenuous launch. Delta Rising was far smoother. We didn't have any problems. Everyone was like, it's good. It's working. Everything was real smooth and there were no chokes. I'm sure some people experienced some slowdown here and there, but there was no cues that I'm aware of. Legacy Ramos is also dedicated towards endgame players, right? So there's a big, giant spike. What we've got is a big, nice, long, smooth mountain, right? Just on data as far as like people playing and revenue people just playing for a very very long period of time which is basically what the system was designed to do instead of a spike once you finish the missions in legacy of romulus you kind of done with that you know there was no end game associated with the legacy of romulus while delta rising is mostly all end game so a very different curve and a very different experience um, and i think we need to do both an MMO. So it's both very different, um, both very successful and we're very happy about it. As a matter of fact, Delta Rising, I think, was like our biggest revenue day ever in Star Trek Online history. Four and a half years later, biggest revenue day ever. It was fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. Because, you know, when Delta Rising came out, people were comparing it to Legacy of Romulus naturally, right? Because it was the, that was the last expansion. It's the only thing you could compare it to. Right. Yeah. You know, I saw a lot of players comparing it, you know, comparing Steam charts and, oh, it's not as successful. But, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, the players only see what we're allowed to see, you know, and it's great to know that Delta Rising has, in fact, been a very successful expansion, like you said, four years into an MMO. Anecdotes make me really sad, and people quote anecdotes about things and make speculations on, oh, we know this game is dying, or people are leaving in droves, and you know what, the data just does not support that in the slightest. You know, what we didn't see, like, for instance, as many new players come into Delta Rising as we did for Legacy Romulus, but you'd expect that from an endgame expansion versus a uh, requisition strategy like Legacy of Romulus that was trying to bring in new players. That's what New Faction does. So what you saw was a very different... The graphs were very different, but the numbers were tremendous. And Delta Rising is, uh, probably say at this point, more successful than Legacy of Romulus. Not in number of new players brought in, but in number of people playing, time people are playing, and the amount of money people have spent. Stephen D'Angelo keeps a ridiculous number of charts of this data and that data. and So you can kind of see where you know, all the different things, uh, ARPU, ARPU-PU, all these, these marketing terms and stuff. It's like, wow, Delta Rising is, is doing better. And it's fantastic. And to see that on a product that's so old is just great because people keep playing. It's some very interesting pieces of data, like people who've played the game, how long people have been playing Star Trek Online for. You know, I, I wish I could share some more specifics on the details, but really ridiculously high numbers on how long people play Star Trek Online for. You know, The percentage of people who are still here since launch is ridiculously high, So even from pre-launch. So really great, very encouraging numbers. Star Trek Online has zero sign of slowing down. It just continues to accelerate and always just beat our expectations. So we're very happy about that. As long as people keep playing it, we're just going to keep making it. So we've got a lot of new stuff. We've got the whole next year basically planned out. That's awesome. I actually have a question related to that about the queues because I've heard, like you said, you know, anecdotes 
there's a saying, what is it, the plural of anecdotes is not data, yeah, something like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah, something like that. A lot of people have talked about how some of the cues are much less populated than they were prior to the Delta rising, and they're having harder time putting groups together for some of the content. Would you ascribe that to people doing other aspects of the content right now, or people still leveling up? What's your thought about that? I don't have any data to support that one way or the other. I think the, uh, the amount of people playing and the amount of time people playing is up significantly. And so people are playing, if they're not playing cues, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming then that they're, they're doing something else because they're in there. So before, everyone was resting comfortably at level 50 complaining about power creep with little to do. And all people would do is just do cues and they got really good at it. And they were able to master what we thought were some of the hardest cues in the game that we didn't expect people to do. And they were just completely mastering it. So now people, yeah, a lot of people are still leveling up. Like you said, you guys just leveled up your guys. And people are spending time leveling up. They're getting used to the new difficulty, figuring out the new cues and not everybody is playing advanced cues yet or people are still learning how to do advanced cues. And uh, I think Skiffy had mentioned that, or someone had mentioned in one of your previous podcasts about um, when advanced cues first came out, I think it was Undine cues, I thought it was just too hard and wouldn't play it. Yes, yeah, Skiffy said he, wasn't, uh, he didn't want to play it. But then after a few weeks or a month or so, people had mastered and figured out how to play cues, and so even pugs could do it. So people started coming in and playing more and more of that. I think that is a large part of it. There's also more cues, so people are spread out more. There was a bug in the reporting of people playing cues. So a lot of the data where people saying like how many people were queued up in the cues was all bogus data. So now the data is actually accurate. And so now that's different than whether or not how long it took you to get into a queue. But if you saw a queue and said before, it's just like 20 people queued up for this queue. It was actually, we couldn't even figure out where that number was coming from. So and Yeah, I think I actually saw at one point there was a queue that listed fewer people queued for it than were actually in the group I was in. Yeah. It was obviously <laughs> wrong at that time. Yeah, so that's working now, and so it's more accurate than it was before. Yeah, the cues are not in any way an indication at all about the number of people playing Star Trek Online. They're probably playing patrols or older missions that they haven't played or mm-hmm. any other number of... Uh, things that they might be doing the, I, I, I don't know. Are there going to be any more future options of expanding how many different elite varieties there are because none of the cues I play are available in elite and I'd like to someday try it but... Yes, the goal is to convert as many as possible probably all of them if at all possible into elite versions but we needed to launch with a bare minimum and, and we got those out. We want to uh, add a lot more elite cues, convert a lot more of them to elite cues. That's not even like a far out goal. That's like something that's actively being worked on right now and um, will happen very soon. In addition to that, um, other tuning of cues, which you can talk about more a little bit later. But there's a lot of work being done to the PBE cues. Yeah, you should be able to look forward to seeing most of your cues particularly the hard ones. I think there'll probably be some of them that are just meant to be easy and will stay easy. I think that the goal is to make sure that any one particular reputation will have at least a few elite cues to choose from and some that are always just always easy to play. So we were talking a little bit ago about if the cues may seem a little low, players finding it hard to find a team that they're obviously doing other content arguably one can say that people are leveling up right because one of the biggest points that the community is making right now is surrounding the skill progression and how much skill points are being earned and the rate 
talk to us a little bit about that. You know, what are you reading from the community? Because I, even I, I've noticed that it does take longer to level. And that I found myself hitting a bit of a wall, that level gate, as I was progressing, you know, and trying to play the content. But it was expected, right? Going from 50 to 60, even in most MMOs, it takes a lot longer to get from level to level. But, you know, there was that expectation from previous experiences in Star Trek Online where, you know, generally you were able to level up in a weekend. So all of a sudden it came to a a halt. Talk to us a little bit about the community reaction from the initial launch of Delta Rising and then now with the November 20th patch. Because like I said earlier, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the math that was released with that November 20th patch. Bottom line is is that, particularly in MMO, that change is bad, right? People have been playing at level 50 at Endgame. They've had the best of the best. They've been the best players and the best gear for maybe years now. And we made it very easy to get to level 50. And so then we introduced level 60 and a level cap increase, and all of a sudden the game changed, right? It's a little bit different experience for everybody. And we understand that that was going to be scary or a different experience that players were expecting and so I think they were surprised by that. I'd hope that we'd made things clear ahead of time but um, I think that you know what our goal was was to make going level 50 to 60 to be almost as fast as level 1 to 50 and data wise as far as all our planning was level 1 to 50 takes about 45 hours to get from 1 to 50. And to get from 50 to 60, it was supposed to be about 35 hours of gameplay. And I think we're pretty much hitting exactly the target that we wanted. The difference was is that from 1 to 50, you've got more story content than you ever would possibly need. I mean, you can get to 50 and still be maybe in the Romulan arc, or maybe just hitting the Cardassian arc if you're slow. And so... If you've done all the mission content already, your character is a couple years old when you start Delta Rising, you don't have 50 levels of story-based content to take you there. We knew that going in there. We consciously decided that we wanted to put an emphasis on quality over quantity. We enjoy making good story content. Players enjoy playing that story content. Expectations are higher for better quality content. And we knew that we wanted to have a longer experience from 50 to 60, we didn't want people to consume Delta Rising in a week or a weekend. Surprisingly, a few people did. There was a couple guys hit level 60 on the first day. Granted, there were some exploits. What I would like to know, I'd like to see a new player's experience or a player starting from scratch, playing from 1 to 60. How far can you get? What level will you get? Uh, I actually don't know. What level will you get before even Delta Rising content opens up? Right? Because there's so much story content available in the game. We asked that question uh, because it was a very good one. When you start from scratch, what point do you start having access to the Delta Rising? Because like you mentioned earlier, you know, you would get to Romulus content and you were already 50. We've only received about two pieces of feedback in from players that have experimented with that. For instance, playing with a new Talaxian character playable species so i'm hoping to get more feedback on that to see if they hit a wall i'd be surprised if they hit a wall i just would really would be i'm sure it's entirely possible but there's just so much content to play that to think that they would ever have no content to play i mean i guess it's possible maybe at the last couple levels but it's definitely gonna be a very different experience than for existing players there's so much more content to play but wasn't there an issue where once you hit 50 the xp that you were earning 
wasn't applying properly, and that's what got fixed in the November 20th patch. I don't, I don't mean to jump, but I'm thinking if players, when they hit 50, even if they were in the Romulan mission, the XP wasn't scaling properly. I have content that I actually haven't played on some of my characters, and I have a character just this weekend that was at level 53 and couldn't go to the next level of Kabali Adventure Zone, so I went back and played some stuff I hadn't played. I went and played the new Borgark, the revamp, and I just played a couple, played two of those, and got to my level 54 just by playing those episodes. So I'm not aware of any issue that other content isn't going to allow you to level up. That's not why the numbers were changed. They were changed to just fix some bugs. They weren't changed to slow anything down for any player. The changes actually will speed up level progression for players. Slightly, but only slightly, but will certainly fix some inconsistencies. What were you hearing that there was a problem specifically? Uh, we actually got contradictory information. We had one of our listeners wrote in saying that he had leveled up and I believe he was right at either the end of the Romulan or the start of the Cardassian mission series. Isn't that right, Cookie? Yeah, he said he did all Cardassian, Borg, and Breen levels starting at level 50, first time playing through any of the missions, and he got one level from all, I think it was 25 to 30 missions. He leveled up from 50 to 51. But on the other hand, we had Skiffy, who, com- who did mission replay of a lot of missions before Delta Rising and then just held off to turn them in until it was possible to level. And he went up to approximately 54, either 53 and change or 54. And mission replay gives significantly less than doing it for the first time. Yes, mission replay will give you significantly less. So I'm not sure why we have that disparity, if there's something we're missing. So number specifics, a good good person to maybe have on your podcast to talk about the exact numbers would be Charles Gray, since he makes all those numbers. Oh, so we would love to have Charles Gray on. thought you might like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you can have Charles come on, and we can talk specifically about the exact numbers and level progression. But the Delta Rising content, I believe, does actually give a higher reward scale than non-Delta Rising content. You won't get less XP from the older content than you will from the newer content. So for instance, if it took, you know, 100,000 XP to get from level 49 to 50, I'm just making up numbers, you might play a mission and maybe it will give you, uh, you know, 50 or 100,000 XP. But in Delta Rising, it makes you 200,000 to get from 51 to 52 or something. And so, you know, you're not going to get 200,000 XP from the older missions. You're probably going to get a lower amount of XP. So it's not a scaling. Those reward numbers at the end of a mission are solid. They don't change by your level. They They don't move. They don't slide. There's this thing called reward scale. Basically, there's an amount of XP that is required to go from one level to the next level. And so it slides, but it's not going to slide as aggressively. It's the way I believe it's going to work. And I'm putting that caveat there because uh, I don't recall exactly how it's set up right now. But basically what we do is we can say that, you know, to get from one level to the next level, it's going to take, say, 10 reward skills to go from, from one level to the next. Or we could say this it only takes one reward skill to get from one to the next. And then we can assign an amount of reward scale for a particular mission. So this mission is does a four reward scale mission, which is a one reward scale mission, or this is a 10 reward scale mission. So that is the percentage of how much of that level you will get. So let's just say, let's just pick a mission. Let's just say, you know, uh, cutting the cord gives you half a level. Let's just say it gives you a reward scale of 0.5. So it'll give you half a level. And so if you play it at level 40, you'll get like 50,000 experience. But if you play it at level 55, maybe you'll get 200,000 experience for it. But Delta Rising missions give a much higher reward scale. 
So they may give you a reward scale of like five. So they give you a lot more uh, than the older content will. I'm exaggerating the numbers just to make a point. So they will scale, but Delta Rising missions still just give more. But because going from level 51 to 52 requires more XP than going from 49 to 50, it's not going to be like it was from 1 to 50. And like you said earlier, you made the example that going from 1 to 50 took maybe 45 hours, but going from 50 to 60, 10 levels was designed to be 35 hours. That's a, that's big, that's theory. That's big theory right there because, uh-huh. you know, players were used to power leveling 50 levels, mm-hmm. you know, on a Red Bull weekend. Yeah. And here we have only 10 levels mm-hmm. in 35 to 45 hours. So there, there was that screeching halt a little bit, you know, that, that whoa, all of a sudden, okay, now yes. it's going to take me as long or nearly as long to get 10 levels than it did getting 50 levels. Yes, that is entirely true. That is entirely by design. Um, it's not at all uncommon with most MMOs that raise their level cap. Usually what most MMOs do too is just make the lower levels, you know, increase the, the leveling speed so that we can get to the lower levels to, the, to back to, you know, the 50 faster. But our leveling speed was already so fast we didn't need to do that. If we increase our level cap to 70 in the future, which I'm sure we eventually will, we'll probably reduce the speed it takes to get to 60 significantly so everyone can get to 60 really fast and you get all your alts to 60 really fast and then everyone will start from 60 to 70 and have a, it'll probably be a similar time, probably another 35 hours to go from 60 to 70 in the future. And, you know, the bottom line is is that we that, that it's designed that way so that way people play more, right? We want to get longevity out of it. If we kept the same linear progression, people would have finished in 10 hours, and then they would be done. And so that's not what we wanted to do. We want people to continue to enjoy the game for a long time. I mean, I anticipated I think what was tough was that not so much that I wanted to get to 60, but that I wanted to play the content, right? I wanted to play the story missions and hear the voiceover work and get through that content. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if other players had been already, you know, who had more time to spend into the game and spend more hours, got through it much faster than I did. But it was like this carrot, you know, like this, like, you have to wait one more level, which means another five <laughs> hours of game time, which, you know, again, I understand and, and is expected. You know, I've other MMOs I've played, you know, those last few levels are painful sometimes to kind of get through. They're long. I get that you want to, you know, have players continue to play and get into the game. Like, I want to play the content, and I can't because mm-hmm. I'm not the right level yet. So I, that was frustrating because I wanted to get through this amazing content that was produced. But you know what? But you know what? That's exactly what we were trying to do. You wanted to play that content so bad that you would just – you kept playing so you could play that content. That's exactly the design. And I understand that there's a balance there between being very frustrating about this is just taking too long and, so, and risk someone just quitting because it takes too long versus going ahead and just letting people consume it really quickly uh, and then being done and saying, now what? And I think, you know, let's just take a, let's just take a moment and, and just, just digest what Spock said in Amok Time that having is not nearly as pleasurable as experience as wanting. And so if we just gave you all the content and you consumed it, I'm immediately going to get complaints of content drought and whatnot. And there's just nothing to do in the game. I wish I had more things. It's the same thing with the upgrade system. It's that I want, want it now, want it, want it now. Why? Why do you need to have it right now? They'll be there waiting for you. They'll, they'll be there waiting for you when you're ready. If you played it all now, then you'd play the elite queues and then you'd say, now what? 
I already did the Elite Keys, now what? Right? We're trying to build a game and an experience where there's always something more to achieve. And that is a tough balance. And I'm not saying that we got it 100% right. But I think that we want to have something that I always have something more to achieve, something more to want. And what is the thing that people want most is they want that story content. And that's a huge driving, a huge motivator. Because one of the things you talked about back in episode 196 that you and Skiffy were talking about, it's like, why didn't they just let not level gate the content and let me play the content? And then I could grind to level 60. Well, once you played the content, why would you care about getting to level 60? Why would some people would say, well, I've already consumed the stories and I'll just stop. Yeah, there's other things that there may be some of the gear and there's some other marks and there's some more lithium I can get. But then we're right back to where we started from before Delta Rising. It's just grindy stuff to do and where people really want to consume that content. People would then consume that story with popcorn and hot cocoa like Cookie was expecting to do and then just all of a sudden be done in five or ten hours. And then the really exciting experience is over. The really great payoff is over. And the other thing that was suggested is, well, we could just release it like once a week like we used to do with featured episodes. And we did. We released one episode late, right? We had that one done at launch. We did the last one with Denise Crosby and Robert Picardo, the epilogue mission. We had that done. But we decided to Spoiler just... Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, it's just it's, it's in the blog, so I didn't spoil anything. So, <laughs> But it's an epilogue mission to kind of wrap up the story a little bit. And we decided, let's just hold that off for the people who did consume the content in the first couple of weeks. And they have something new to play with. But a lot of people aren't even 60 level, haven't even had a chance to experience that new mission. But we could have doled them out once a week. But then, as Jace pointed out, after we released them, anybody new coming in would just have the same problem. Would then just consume it all immediately. So, yes, there was a lot of balance there to figure out. And ideally, I would have loved to have made 30 missions of that quality and have something for you to always do. And that's what I was about to say. Where Skiffy complained or addressed a concern that uh, he didn't like the patrol missions in the actual journal, I would have loved more things to do in Delta Rising. Because like you did, right? I had the same experience where I had to try to find missions that were going to give me the maximum skill point payout. So I hadn't done Nimbus. So I had to go back and I had to do all of these Nimbus things. But I would have loved to have stayed in the Delta Quadrant and been able to play missions in the Delta Quadrant or some type of content from the Delta Quadrant and still earn that same payout of XP because the patrol missions because they the replay wasn't a wrapper you weren't you weren't going to get that same amount of XP well first of all the patrol missions are rewarding about one third of XP what they're supposed to so they're really really under rewarding XP right now the replays or the or the actual both both are okay. doing about one-third about what they're supposed to. I mean, the only difference is, is that I think patrols don't have a replay penalty. They just come with a wrapper. The first time you play, there actually is a wrapper. There's a mission sent, go and do these patrols, and you do three or four patrols or whatever. And then you get the bonus XP from the wrapper, and then you get the XP from the mission. But on replay, you just get the XP from the mission. I don't think there's a penalty on the replay. But patrols used to be really fast, right? Most patrols in our game, you get done in like five minutes. But these patrols are much bigger. They're longer, they're harder, and they have a story associated with them. They take about 15 minutes to do. Unfortunately, we did not adjust the XP for them. We just gave them standard patrol rewards. So they're about a third underperforming. That will be addressed and uh, and fixed so that way you get a lot more 
XP from them because you're supposed to do stick around the Delta Quadrant and do those patrols because they were designed to, every time you play them, they're a little bit different. Sometimes reinforcements show up, sometimes extra enemies show up, sometimes it's different enemies, sometimes a number of, uh, of enemies, spawns that show up are different, and different story beats will come up. Some of them are far more random than others. But you are meant to play a lot of those to get a lot of your XP. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, they are under-rewarding, and that is an unfortunate mistake that will be addressed hopefully very soon. I think it actually may be fixed already internally, just not released. Your bottom line is like, I would just love to have played and stayed in the Delta Quadrant and played more. I would have loved to have given you more, but there's only so much that we could produce. And like I said, we stuck with, we want to increase the quality of our mission with more cutscenes, more voiceovers, and just generally a higher quality, a new experience. And I mean, if you look at the patrols, the patrols right now are about as good they're actually better than most of the missions we launched with four years ago, right? They're pretty good. Um, and so we've really raised the bar significantly. And there actually was supposed to be another queue that was supposed to launch, but we just couldn't get it done, so it just got cut. One of the things we're doing to alleviate that is we're going to start putting Delta Marks available in other queues as an option. I don't know where it's at as far as like when it'll be released, but we'll be able to get Delta Marks from Dyson Sphere content, like the Spire and the Breach. You'll be able to get them from there. We may add it to some of the Borg stuff or Undine. They're both Delta Quadrant related. So we might put some more Delta Marks in other places. So there'll be other things that you can do to earn Delta Marks that'll still feel Delta Quadrant themed. You won't really have to leave anywhere because it's just in the queue. Throw it in the ground battle zone too, please. <laughs> um, I don't remember if it was added to the ground battle zone. It actually might have been, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know where we landed on that. But... Yeah, I mean, I would love to have given you more content, but like I said, we decided to go with a higher level of quality and a higher level of polish and just a better story than giving you lots of stuff that was just stuff to play. And instead, we gave you lots of patrols with some randomization in there to change your experience. We just missed the mark on the rewards for them. And so that will be addressed and that will feel less painful. I like those patrols, especially for me as someone who has not seen a lot of Voyager. Mm -hmm. I met a lot of these races for the first time in those patrols and then they became an important part of, like, the next major story mission. The patrols are the backstory. Right. right. They give you the backstory. They give you a little bit about what's going on in the world before you start really interacting with them and start understanding what the hierarchy are about or the cooperative or the Octanti, who we named because they weren't named in the show, what their story is in the background and kind of understand what their individual motivations are before you start really interacting with them in the episodes. And then they change, right? There's actually three patrol groups. I think it's three or four patrol groups. So I think, like, Skiffy said that there were only six patrols, and that's not true. There's a whole bucket ton of patrols. There's a lot of patrols in there. They come in groups. I think it's A, B, C, D, E. Is it four? Four or five? Maybe it's five. Five patrol groups. They keep unlocking as you progress in the level, and each one of those patrol groups are representing a different stage in the story. So, you know, at one point... Somebody starts off as an enemy, and then someone at later on, you're actually helping them because the story has progressed to the point where you're actually not fighting them anymore. You're trying to help them. So I don't want to give too many spoilers, but yes, they are part of the story, hence that why they are in the journal, because they're not just random, you know, killing fields. They're telling the story about what's going on between there. It is the B story, like you mentioned, Jace, in the episode about this kind of other thing that's going on that's leading up to the main storyline. I really appreciate that there will be a patch to 
improve on the rewards because I wanted to go back and play those patrols because yeah they're so hard they're long they take so long time and you get the only the very low XP for it and so yeah I get that you know because I would have done that right because I needed to do my mastery my starship mastery so I needed to do space combat mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I found myself having to play ground Nimbus because I needed that XP right I needed that little bit of a boost I'm glad I'm glad because I can go back play those different experiences in the patrol. And now, at this point, since I've hit 60 already, I'll continue to earn skill points for the specialization and the mastery. Yeah, that'll help a lot. I think that's a good tidbit right there. Do you know when, what patch that might be? No, I really don't. I start losing track. My job is to just get them done, and then the uh, release team works with QA to see when it's tested and when it passes, and then what gets put into a build and when it gets released. So I'm actually usually a little bit in the dark when it comes to incremental patches about when they're... I mean, I could do a better job at, like, following them, but I'm usually just keeping my eye on just making sure that's working. So, I mean, usually it doesn't take more than a few weeks from when we finish something for Get Live, and obviously the Thanksgiving holidays slowed things down. You know, I wasn't there all last week, and a lot of people took the week off as well. So, you know what? All of this stuff will be out with or before the winter event, uh, because that's when we do a full build, and everything goes live. So, and the winter event will be, like, early December, so... It's really only a couple of weeks off then. So, Al, with respect to the skill points and how players will progress from level 50 to 60, uh, there was a pretty big patch that stirred up some community feedback, the November 20th patch. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? For some, it was very confusing. For me, for instance. We expected there to be some confusion, and we tried to be as clear as possible in the patch notes. I can promise you there is no hidden agenda to slow things down or to nerf anything. There is no nerf involved. There were some errors in the level up math that require that, you know, we need to rethink the way things are working and a lot of interconnected dependencies on how to do things. So what was happening behind the scenes that was a problem when we first noticed it was that players would kill a critter that was at one level and then let's just make up a number. They get 100 XP for it. And then the next level, they only get 80 XP. And similar things were happening with with duty officer assignments. If they would do it at one level, it would be... They'd get, you know, 100 XP, and then later they get 50. and says, what's going on? It says, oh, look, there's just huge error in here. And you know, normally you'd expect an XP curve to either be flat or just get higher and higher. And instead it was the XP curves were actually going up and then it went down. So, like, it might be it'd take, like, 1,000 XP to get to one level, and the next level would take 1,500 XP. And all of a sudden the next level would only take, like, 1,200 XP to get to the next level, and then 800 XP to get to the next level. It says, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. This is not what's supposed to happen. Now, what happened was we planned out a progression that says we expect you to play this mission at this level, this mission at this level, we expect you to have to play this many patrols, this many queues, this much time in the adventure zone. And so we plotted out on the content side. We started probably from a bad assumption, a bad starting point. We said that we expect you to have to play this much content to level up. Okay, And it was doled out properly. And so we said, okay, if that's what it is, then we see how much XP does each content is going to reward. This goes back to that reward scale number I was talking about. And so, okay, this is going to reward this much reward scale, and then we expect you to have to replay, either replay this or play patrols, and so they have to give equal kind of similar reward scales. So what happened was is that at some missions, there may have been a mission reward a mission to give away. In some levels, there wasn't a mission there, or there was gaps, and we were expecting to play patrols. And so what ended up happening is that although the amount of hours it took to level up per level did increase 
right? We expect it first to take an hour and then an hour and a half and then two hours and then two and a half hours, something like that. That kept getting longer and longer. The amount of content in between was inconsistent. So just because one level took one hour and the next and another level took two hours, it wasn't like there was twice as much content in there. But what would happen is then that content might be worth twice as much that was in there. And so what you ended up having is that the numbers to get from level one to next level would go down. It's like, wow, it's all over the place. And though you could play those duty officer assignments and do those kills and do those missions at that level and still level up at the rate we expected you to, say this would take two hours. It still would take you the time that we expected. Was each thing you did was giving you less at certain levels, and that looked bad. Because you'd kill a critter, and then the next level you'd kill it, and you'd get less XP for it. And it's like, well, that's bad. But the number of critters it took you to kill was exactly what we expected it to be. The number of duty officer's assignments we expected you to have to do was exactly what we expected you to do. So we said, well, that just doesn't feel good. So we rejiggered all the numbers, and no one's progression should have changed. If you were halfway between 54 and 55, you'd still be halfway before 54 and 55. And if you were expected to do 10 patrols between 54 and 55, you'd still have to do 10 patrols before 54 and 55. As a matter of fact, we leaned on the player's side whenever there were rounding issues or um, we gave players a little bit more XP for everything than was expected. And so it was just there to fix a lot of really bad rounding errors to try to make it so that way every time you did a piece of content, did a critter kill or did a duty officer assignment that you got more at a higher level because that's what you expected it to. We could have left it alone and the amount of time it took to get from 50 to 60 wouldn't have changed. The amount of time it takes from 50 to 60 now should be exactly the same as it was before. As a matter of fact, it should be a little bit faster or rather it will be a little bit faster once the patrols are fixed because the patrols are out of whack. Right now, it's about the same. And that thread, I saw the thread about this where you made a comment about the numbers, and it looks to me like the confusion sprung up when someone tried to confirm that, but then they used patrols to confirm it, and the patrols aren't giving as much as they're sort of supposed to be. The patrols were updated, so they're still giving more XP than they were before, still giving at the same rate, as expected, they're just, we're always underperforming in the first place. So they are underperforming the same amount now as they were before, proportionally. If you had to do 10 patrols from 59 to 60, you'd have to do 10 patrols now from 49 to 50, but you should only have to do three, okay? So players posted a lot of numbers about what they experienced, and then I posted these are the true numbers, and they were confirmed in data, and they were confirmed in game about what they actually were given, and they were actually increased by about three times the amount of rewards. Yeah, I understand it was confusing, but basically what the problem was was that, you know, just to kind of boil it down, is that there were points in the game where rewards were giving you less from one level than it was in the previous level, even though it was giving you the right percent that you needed for that level because the threshold, the amount of XP it took you to get from that level was less. So from 54 to 55 might have taken you 100,000, and 55 to 60,000 only took 80,000 for some reason. And so all the rewards in there were about 80% less. And that just was wrong, even though the rate at which you're progressing was the same. So we made it so that way it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger every level. And then the rewards for everything went up bigger and bigger and bigger at the same rate. The one thing that is different that people seem to have latched onto is critter kills. And so critters themselves did go up significantly, but did not go up at the higher levels at the same rate as they used to. The critters were overperforming before, and that they were now. 
So the difference is, is that critters have always given very little XP in the game. All the rewards comes from the missions. And so what we want to do to compensate is that you should get more percentage from the mission than you should from the critter itself. Hence, patrols should be giving you three times as much XP. And so I think that will alleviate when people say, well, they're not getting, yeah, my patrols are underperforming because it's mostly coming from kill XP and now the critter kills are not doing as much. Let me be clear about that. So critters at level 50 to 51 increase significantly the amount of critter kills you get. And then from 49 to 50, they increase significantly, but didn't increase three times as much. The amount of XP it takes to get from 59 to 60 was about three times as much increase. But the critters only went up about twice as much or something like that. So they didn't go up quite as much as the requirement went. But all the mission rewards went up a little bit more than three times as much. And all the patrols are supposed to go up Not only did they increase three times as much, but they still need to be increased three times as much on top of that. So they're supposed to go up nine times as much, but the second three times as much hasn't happened yet. Additionally, we're increasing the XP rewards significantly in fleet actions. That hasn't happened yet. So fleet actions, which is, you know, like a 20-man fleet action, fleet actions don't generally reward, you know, marks for the rep. They'll give you fleet marks and that's it, but they're going to give you a lot more XP. So... In the end, what happens is the time to go from level 51 to 60 is the exact same 35 hours as it was before. And then it's going to be reduced more when we have fixed the patrols, so that way the patrols will do three times more than what they're supposed to. Why didn't we just increase the XP for kills as much? Well, A, they were giving too much than they were supposed to. B, the game has never been about giving lots of XP for critter kills. Star Trek Online has never been about that. Part of that's thematic, part of that's just by design. You get most of it from your content. Critters always gave XP at a constant rate. Between 10 to 20, they gave this much XP. 20 to 30, they gave this much XP. 40 to 50, they gave this much XP. 50 to 60, they actually scale up. If they were to scale up at the same rate, then all of a sudden critters at level 60 would give way more XP than critters at 50, and that was going to be a problem for mastery. That means that you would finish mastery much faster at 60 than we were expecting you to than at level 50. And so right now we decreased the cost for mastery in half, and now we just increased the critter kills by like double. So now mastery is even go even faster. If we had increased them by triple, it would be even more faster. And so that would have been far outside design of what we wanted mastery to be and i'd rather just reduce the cost of mastery so it's even across for everybody than increase critter kills but in the end your experience should be the same and once patrols are out are updated it will be better than it was before the change it was just to fix some inconsistencies in the data it just looks scary it's like oh my god now it takes me three million xp to get to level 60 and that's so much more than it was before but everything was increased by three to compensate. So did we make a mistake? Maybe. I'm not aware of one right now, but I'm certain that there could be one that I'm not aware of and that we'll fix it because that was never the intent to make it harder. Are there any plans to change the way dilithium is either earned, required for fleet holdings, used for crafting, or even the refining cap? So nothing specific. I think that if anything that we will ever do is that we will just keep adding more sources and more ways to earn dilithium or increase the rate at which you earn dilithium at any given point, as opposed to reducing costs. And not to say that we wouldn't reduce costs on anything specific. If there's something is just out of whack where we need to be, we'll reduce them. I think that 
one of the things that keeps getting my attention, and I think this came up in your episode on Priority One, that there's the dilithium nerf on cubes, a dilithium nerf on cubes. It's like there was a change to some cubes. Here's the problem. This is kind of the problem with people setting bad expectations. Originally, the only cues that are rewarded dilithium were the Borg STFs, and they rewarded 480 and 960. And there was a couple elite cues that rewarded 480. I think there were two of the elite cues. But they were the only ones that ordered that. All the other cues did not reward dilithium. And so one of the things we're trying to do throughout the entire game is normalize all the cues. We want to normalize the rate at which they reward marks, normalize their difficulty, and normalize their rewards. We didn't used to have basic elite and advanced difficulties for all the cues. So now we added dilithium to all the cues. So now they own 360, 720, and 960 to all the cues. And so, yes, the Borg ones went down from 960 to 720, but everything else gained dilithium. But for whatever reason, that just gets becomes equated with the dilithium nerf in cues. But you have so many sources that you can continue to earn dilithium in. And so the problem was is that people just keep playing, you know, like Infected Space or something and play the same cue. They find the easiest one with the most rewards, and we don't want that. We want everything to be desirable. People, understandably, will play the thing that they can play the least amount of effort and earn the most amount of rewards. And, they, and there, to some degree, that will always exist in this and every MMO. So we want to normalize the rewards across them all and normalize the difficulty. One of the things Charles Gray, the lead content designer, is doing is he's spending a lot of time analyzing data, 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 how long it takes people to finish queues, is there a success rate versus failure rate, and how many of them are finishing the bonus objectives and getting bonus rewards. And so that way, some of them are really underperforming. They're just like, wow, people are just really having terrible success rate. This is taking way too long for them than expected. And so the rewards are far under than what they're supposed to be. And some of them are the complete opposite. Some of them are just way over-rewarding. And so we're trying to normalize that. We're either by giving them more rewards or making them easier. Or in the other opposite case, um, we probably just make them harder as opposed to reducing the rewards in them, the ones that are overperforming. So we want to normalize all of that. I could see that we end up making the queues just be 480, 960, and 1440. Same reason why the game is just generally launched a little bit harder is that it's much easier for us to release content, release anything in the game, you know, underpowered or over hard. Because it's like, that's the safer place to put it. If you're not quite sure, err on making it a little bit harder. If you're not quite sure, err on making it a little bit underpowered. Because if you're not sure... If you get it wrong, you can always put it in the player's favor with less people getting upset about it. Some, there's usually some reason someone might get upset about it for some reason. But in general, if you go the other way, let's give it lots of rewards or make it overpowered, and then we can nerf it later, then people get upset. So we're erring on the cues, giving a little bit less dilithium than we think we can afford to give it, and with the possibility of being able to give more, and we made everything, the content, a little harder than we thought we needed to because we weren't sure. You never know the breadth of player's skill is so huge out there. If we made it too easy, then you can't make it harder without people getting upset. So you just take the best possible guess based on what data you have, and then you kind of adjust with the data that you get once it goes out. So we just recently added dilithium to Adventure Zones. I think you even mentioned last week, Cookie, that you noticed that you can earn a lot of dilithium on the Adventure Zones now. Yes. You know, I wanted to make sure that there are ways for solo players to earn dilithium and marks in addition, not just group play. So that's one way that, as a solo player, now you can earn a fair amount of dilithium 
as well as marks. Yeah, I've been doing the Romulan. Yeah, that's a really gentle way to earn. You that's know, a great way put to in put a reasonable it. amount of time, <laughs> and without having to just like be in the battle zone and worrying about getting killed left and right, but you still have to put in your time. So uh, to earn to, to earn a really you know good amount of dilithium is in the Romulan Adventure Zone. If you do the entire map, you can get close to eight thousand dilithium a day. Yeah. There's lots of good ways to earn dilithium in the game. There's a lot of generous ways to earn it. I think people have gotten into habits and just keep doing the same one over and over again. And why is this different? Why is this rewarding less? And says, well, you know what? Because everyone is doing it. And now people are finishing infected space in like five minutes and earning, you know, a half hour worth of dilithium. That's the anomaly. And so we kind of need to adjust that anomaly as opposed to making everything else at that rate. That's just not going to do anyone any good. So we've adjusted a few that way. There's also been talks that people keep saying EC nerf. I mean, you mentioned it in episode 196 about players complaining about an energy credit nerf. And I don't even know what you're talking about. Nerf? Yes. In episode 196, you mentioned that people were upset about the energy credit nerf. And I don't know what energy credit nerf. Maybe someone was misspoken. No, not an energy credit nerf. And this is actually from last week's interview with Jesse Heinig was that, you know, players were concerned about energy credit bottleneck with the upgrade system where... It required a significant amount of energy credits to upgrade your system. $83 worth! <laughs> that should have been the name of the episode. Episode 196, $83. $83. For one ship. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You, your new thing can be, I pay $60 for that, but not 83 Not $83. Uh-huh. Being that we're on dilithium, we interviewed Jesse Heinig last week, and one of the discussions we had was about the amount of EC required to upgrade an item. Players immediately went to the forums and replied that, you know, no, it's not an EC issue, it's dilithium. And then other players replied to that person and said, no, it is EC and not dilithium. Dilithium's not the problem. Um, There's there's this back and forth, right, of, uh, you know, how much much EC does it cost to upgrade your ship in total or how much dilithium it costs. What's really the bottleneck? What's choking and hurting people? Now, I have been referencing a certain chart, not... The infographic, but actually a, an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. that outlines for players essentially how much dilithium it would cost to upgrade your ship from 12 to 14. Now, these numbers are taken from the actual upgrade system, so it tells you you know, what the dilithium costs will be from upgrade to upgrade from level to level. So to get my eight weapons up, it looks like it's going to cost about 145,000 dilithium. I've seen the chart. I'm just going to tell you what I know it's going to cost you. Um... As far as I know, I think Jesse said that the data in the chart... Not the infographic. Not the I'm infographic, yes. Yeah, not about the shared Excel spreadsheet. It's fairly accurate. But let me just break that down. Let's see and see where that comes from. The lithium cost of upgrade. Going to vary if you're going to use a basic kit versus a superior kit. So assuming superior kits, okay, to upgrade a non-set item in space is about 5,000 dilithium to go from 12 to 13 give or take, like 5,400 or 5,200 or something. So it's about 5,000 to go from 12 to 13. And to go from 13 to 14 is about 10,000. Again, it might be like 10,024. So if it's a set item, there's a 44% surcharge on that. So 5,000 times 1.44. And there's a few weapons that are part of sets, but there could be some, like some of the low-buy store. 5,000 times 1.44 is uh, 7,200 for, say, like a set, like a Mako deflector or something like that. Uh, 7,200 to go from 12 to 13, and then 14,400 to go from uh, 13 to 14. So if you want to do eight weapons, it's 5,000 times eight 
as 40,000 dilithium to get a 13, and then from 13 to 14 is 10,000 times 8, 80,000. So 80,000 plus 40,000. So about 120,000. Yeah, 120,000 to do eight weapons, non-set weapons, to go from Mark 12 to Mark 14. Now, that's reasonable, right? Because when we compared it to an up the, the actual reputation system, where, you know, imagine having to get these Mark 14s, it would be... It's cheaper than if you were to have to... Then right. The, we actually know what the cost of a Mark 14 is. I don't know what it is off of my head, but we have... There's an escalating cost from 10 to 12 to 11 to 14. We have a formula that costs that. So we know what the cost, the projected cost of a 13 and 14 would be, and we made sure that it was far cheaper to upgrade a 12 to a 13 than it would be to just buy it outright. So that's about 120,000 dilithium, right? To get all your, just your weapons, just your eight weapons, let's say. So 120, and then you are limited by the 8,000 dilithium refinement cap a day. I believe that players are, are finding it tough to balance between upgrading their items and then upgrade, you know, participating in, in fleet holdings. You know, like for instance, right now, the Priority One fleet is on the last project to get their Spire to Tier 3, the Fleet Spire. And it's about 1.7 million dilithium. But everything has come to a screeching halt because everybody is now focusing on upgrading their items. So that's, I think, where the big question about the refinement cap keeps coming into play because, you know, players who are still progressing even just their fleet holdings are finding that it's hard to get players to contribute to fleet holdings when there's a finite amount of dilithium per day that they can refine. And then also you know, the hot ticket item of the week, which is right now the upgrade system. And I encourage everyone, if they haven't listened to it, to listen to Jesse's interview because, you know, I think he summarized things. He went through things in very good detail. I mean, what our goal was to make happen with the upgrade system is that that every day that you could very easily make some progress every day. In one day, you can upgrade very easily, you know, 5,000 dilithium, upgrade one item to a Mark 13. And that jives with what we expect people to have to earn as far as reward. And one day, boom, you can have a Mark 13 item. And you could probably have two because you wouldn't be able to do two in one day because you can only earn 8,000 a day, but you probably have a surplus. But even if you couldn't get two to 13, you could make progress on a second item very easily. So the idea is that you're supposed to always be able to make some progress. And you wouldn't have to contribute all of your dilithium to make that progress. You only have to contribute about a thousand dilithium to make progress on one item. Every time you hit that button to upgrade, there's a chance of it upgrading in quality. And every time you apply a tech kit, there's a fairly good chance that you'll crit. And so these numbers of like 5,000 and 10,000 are actually statistically far less because I think you can actually crit like 20% of the time and I think you'll get 1.5x progression and then 5% of the time you'll get two times progression. You can reduce those numbers significantly because those statistically it would be impossible to have that cost. I'm not going to argue that there's lots of ways to spend your dilithium and people want more dilithium. Yes, we want you to buy dilithium, right? We want you to spend money and buy dilithium in the game. The users end up buy dilithium. That's one way that Cryptic Studios makes money to keep the lights on is people spending Zen to buy dilithium. But we always want you to be able to make some progress in a day. I don't know if there's any number that we could have launched with that wouldn't have made people feel like they got, here's another expense. Let's just say we made the numbers half the value. Say if we launched with half the value, and it took you only 2,500 to get to 13 and 5,000 to get to 14. People would still want to save all their dilithium to upgrade their items, and it would still be expensive. The goal that we started with was like, you know what? 
an upgrade kit, a thousand dilithium. That's really easy progress you can make in one day. Every day or every couple days of gameplay, you could get one item upgraded fairly easily. And that seemed pretty fair to us. I think that there's a maybe an expectation that, and Jesse talked about this a lot, that, oh my god, it's 300,000 to upgrade everything. Well, first of all, I don't think it's actually 300,000 because although mathematically it could be 300 or 300 and some 310,000 or whatever it is, the number that the table says, if you have any one of those items happen to be a levelless item, like particularly some of the consoles, if you have any running any console like saucer separation, you're not going to have to upgrade that one. That's a levelless item. It's also going to vary whether or not you have 9, 10, or 11 console slots or if you're running a ship with only you know, eight weapon slots versus seven or six. So it's going to vary a little bit. But we won't quibble over those small details. The idea is that the system was not designed for you to go in and say, this is 300,000 dilithium. That's too much money. That's going to take me however many weeks or months to earn that much. I want my Mark 14th now. The system is not designed to be a buyout system to just be able to just buy it out and go. It's meant to be a retention tool. It is. It's meant for you to be a long-term goal that you will eventually get these. And you don't need them to compete. You only need 14s if you want to get into elite queues. You won't need 14s to get into advanced queues. Having 14s will open the door and allow you to start participating in elite queues. That's what the design is for. But those are for far more hardcore players. It's not expected that you have to have Mark 14 gear and everything. And it's a long-term goal. And along the way, you may have some gear that is 14, and you may have some of them that you get lucky when you upgrade to 14. Maybe you'll get some of those get procced into ultraviolet or gold. And that's entirely possible, entirely doable, especially if you're using the right accelerators. Because you mentioned wanting to be able to just buy the upgrade kits, the fancy Delta Super Kits that just upgrade any item for no dilithium cost. And we actually considered selling those, but there's two risks for it. Number one is, well, the three risks. Finding the right price. As soon as we set the price for it, we kind of almost set a dilithium price. This is like, okay, it's three bucks, whatever it is. I'm just making a number. Well, then it's going to say, well, three bucks is worth 10,000 dilithium. That's a bad precedence to set. Number two, we risk undermining crafters. The best upgrade kits are meant to come from the crafters. That was a design to say that this is what makes crafters valuable, and everyone wants to be a crafter. Everyone wants to know a crafter. The third risk is that all of a sudden it turns this retention tool into a monetization tool. And this is really meant to be more certainly meant to monetize in some way, but it's also meant to be retention as a long-term strategy for everybody. Uh, in the meantime, you can still just play to the end game. You got to level 60. How many items did you upgrade, Elijah? I've only done three, and they're at 13. Okay, so you did three, and you got to level 60. That was the goal. You should not have to upgrade. We gave you a few 13s along the way for free as rewards. You should not have to upgrade in order to, in order to succeed. Was the game too hard for you? No, but you know, actually, it's what I do find is that so now there are these elite queues. Why not hold the release of the elite queues until the estimated time where you expected players to start kind of balancing with the Mark 14 gear? Because there's still some people who can do it. I mean, there are people out there who blow me away at how amazing that they play the game and that they just go through and they don't even break a sweat and are able to complete the elite queues without even having Mark 14 gear. So there's a very small percentage of people, and that's what it's for. Honestly, I kind of wish we had four or five levels of queues. Advanced, elite, like one, instead of three. Like a trainee one, too, would be nice. <laughs> it's just more work, right? And it puts a lot of choice. The more resolution you put in there, it makes it a little bit harder for people to decide, am I a three or am I a four? I don't know. Like I think like Diablo has like five levels of difficulty, right? So 
maybe we could add a few more levels of difficulty in between, and I wouldn't be opposed to doing that, because there is a big jump between Advanced and Elite, definitely. But why didn't we release it? Because I think it's fun to be able to, A, some people can do it. They just can, and I honestly have no idea how they do it. You can look at their DPS charts when we look at the data, and you'll see like people at, like, you know, most people like 10,000 or 20,000. All of a sudden, you see someone's like 40,000. Like, there's like the last couple people are like double or triple performance than everybody else. And it's like baffling how they do it because it's not just their build, it's just build macros and their skill and their timing and what they're doing with debuffs um, in a team. So it's just really good. And that's great. It's also fun to like, who, let me check this out. Says, holy crap, this is so hard. Um, then that gives you something. Maybe one day I can achieve this difficulty. So I, I don't think there was necessarily a need to hold it off to release it until later. I do understand you have something there. And it's like, you know, I want that. Sure, I get that. That's why we have that there. But then just like I would think it's a similar issue where somebody says, I want to be able to play all the content now. And so I had to go and play all these levels in order so that way I could get the content that I wanted. And that's exactly what we wanted you to do, is that we wanted you to spend a lot of time playing to get to level 60 before unlocking the content as your prize. If it made it really easy for you to get your 14 now, then you'd be saying, well, there's nothing else for me to achieve. And so why should I play? And so there's a constant catch-22 about finding the right balance between making sure there's always something for you to achieve without making it feel like unachievable. And... Uh, we don't always get that balance right, and I recognize that. And we probably don't have this balance right. I don't know what the right balance should be. But wherever we land, somebody is going to feel like the balance is not right. And some people are going to feel that it's fine. We'll keep working on it. For me, I don't think dilithium is a problem. And as a player, dilithium isn't hard for me to get. Getting those superior upgrades are hard for me to get. Because without them, then my dilithium cost is like triple. So that's the bottleneck. And that's where we see ridiculous energy credit costs on the exchange, which, you know, we did not set those prices. We did not know at all what someone might sell them for. We couldn't even begin to speculate what someone might sell them for. And of course, they're going to be really high right now because very few people have level 15 in crafting. Um, but if someone is selling an upgrade kit for 1 million, somebody tomorrow is going to sell it for 900,000 and scoop that sale up. They just will. And then someone will sell it for 800000 because more people will get to level 15, more people will be willing to take a cut and will be able, and will set the market, uh, and then they'll buy them all up. So the market will come down, I guarantee that, A, because more people will get level 15, and B, because we're going to make it easier to get those upgrade kits. As you know that, A, we've materials are now guaranteed drop. The, the amount of materials that drop is actually the same, but we made a poor decision where... The materials that dropped in advanced queues was for every hundred plays there was a hundred materials drop but not every time you played it would you get one sometimes you'd get 10 right and so you'd play like a whole bunch of times and get nothing and all of a sudden you'd get 10 so if you played three or four times in a row said damn it i'm not getting anything if you were even able to beat the queue so the queues were hard the rewards were poor so we're making the queues easier first of all we reduced the difficulties of critters across the board and now we're taking data to make the cues maybe okay, make the cues a little easier, give a little more timer, make less, a little less critters and the advanced difficulties, make the optional objectives a little bit easier. So bringing those down a little bit of time. And now every time you play, you get a rare material. And as Phil Zaleski recently blogged, that we're reducing the amount of the cost of crafting across the board. So I think it's like 13 very rare materials to make a component in the crafting material. It's going to go down to like five or three. So it's going to go significantly down, the cost to make components, and then the cost to make upgrade kits is just going to go down as well. So all the costs 
for very rare materials are going to come down. So a lot of the bottlenecks will start easing up a bit. So things will be start becoming more and more accessible, and all those costs will start coming down. And we'll see how that goes, and if we need to alleviate even a little bit more pressure after that, we can. That might include reducing dilithium costs for upgrades, or the opposite, which would do the same thing as reduce the amount of tech points it requires to upgrade, so that way the amount that you apply each time is still a thousand, but you only have to do it three times instead of five, perhaps. You, you could do that either way, or you could cut the cost in half. And so either way, effectively, it does the same thing. It's just what makes more sense. But you don't want to swing the pendulum too far the other way and find out, oh, we made it too easy, and now we screwed up, and then you can't swing the pendulum back the other way. So you kind of have to only ease the throttle back a little at a time to do that. I was actually surprised at how much they were sliced in half. Not even in half. In some cases, even more than half. The uh, cost? Of the, yeah, the cost. The material now, the material costs and how much were needed to create these components. I mean, I think that what happened was is that there's you know, multiple people working on a system, right? You had at least four people involved in that. And that's just who's implementing the data and where you don't necessarily know the availability of certain materials, we know what the design is supposed to be, but then in practicality, it really happens, right? It says, well, we expect this much materials to drop and realize, wow, you know, a lot less is dropping than we're expecting. So we can start dropping more, we can reduce the costs and what makes, well, if we drop more, that might upset now the crafting packs that you buy in the store. And so there's multiple pieces are involved. And then people have an excessive amount of common crafting materials, but the cost didn't go up for common crafting materials. So we kind of like Currently, it's like the number of common compared to very rare is about the same. And kind of what we want to pinch it more, what I think people would expect, like a pyramid. So very few, very rare materials and lots of common materials to make something. So we're just going to, you know, reduce the very rare and the rare and the uncommon slightly, but not touch the amount of common materials. Because that more matches really what's coming into the economy. So basically, you can increase the supply or increase the demand, and we're going to decrease the demand. We didn't really increase the supply. We just made the supply more normalized so everyone has equal access to the supply as opposed to some people jackpotting into the supply. And then tuning the critters in the mission so they're a little bit easier to complete will also normalize the supply so everyone has more regular access to it. And then things like them showing up in the rep packs, showing up other places we may stick in those materials. Definitely everyone should play crafting weekends whenever we do crafting weekend events because they're really, really lucrative. So keep an eye out for those because those are really good for not only for the packs you buy, but you get more materials in everything that you do and dilithium drops in the harvest nodes. You'll get dilithium from the harvest nodes as well during crafting weekends. So those are really lucrative. So yeah, it's a process, Elijah. Uh, it's, it's a process that's we didn't think that we'd hit the mark, but we did the best guess we could with the complex system as it is, and I'm not worried about it. We'll keep making it more accessible to everybody. But I think the main goal is that we don't want to change, is that this is not something we're expecting you, A, to buy out of overnight, nor are we expecting you to just get Mark 14s. That's what you should have. This is what my cost should be. We're not targeting what the total cost is. We're targeting what the daily cost is. We're targeting what the daily progression is, not what the final goal is. That's the point we're starting from, not like how much should it cost to upgrade an entire ship? It should be $50. That's not where we're starting from. We want to know how much do we expect you to contribute daily and still make progress and feel like you got something. That's the point that we're starting from because we want this to be a retention thing. Every day I make a little progress. And maybe that's not quite right, but that's what we're focusing on. Even now, I'm having a hard time 
finding a way to chip at it, you know, like Jesse and, and you've spoken about. Because, you know, I want to chip at it with superior upgrades. Mm -hmm. But the only way that I know to get superior tech upgrades is either to have somebody craft it for me mm -hmm. or to buy them off the exchange. Now, beams right now, when I was in earlier in the game, was 450,000 EC for uh, superior tech upgrades for beams. It already sounds like they've come down a lot. I think they've been floating... Have they been floating around the four hundred thousand range? I think they've been floating. I thought around. they were at a million, but maybe that was a long time ago. Maybe that, maybe I'm mistaken. I'm hoping they're going to go down even further. But I mean, ultimately, is what would you say to me, right? When I go into the game and I'm, you know, trying to level up, get my mastery, get my specialization, how do you want me to earn superior upgrades when I have to rely on somebody like a crafter or buy them off of the exchange? How do I chip at it? Your options are to get your crafting to where it needs to be. And that's where we would hope that most people would want to do or make friends either in your fleet or just a friend who is a crafter so that way you're not bidding on the exchange. You're more likely to get a better deal from a friend than you are from the exchange. If you are going to bid on the exchange, what that crafter wants, that crafter is going to make a lot of EC off of those very rare materials. So what you need access to is the very rare materials. That's something that you can either sell on the exchange or you can trade with somebody to make the upgrade kit for you. So as the supply of very rare materials becomes more accessible, which is it's already started and will continue to get better, that will give you a portal to superior upgrade kits until you can get your crafting to where you need it to be. But your best bet is to uh, probably find out what upgrade kit out there is most valuable because it's probably something that, probably not beams, because probably most people invest in beams or cannons, but if you invest in engines or deflectors or something that someone didn't invest in, those are going to be far fewer of those upgrade kits. The smart crafters always invest in the school that nobody does, That's because then you're in demand, and then you can trade those for the ones that, you can probably trade two to one for the one that everyone has already made, and they cost you the same investment to create. There's not any harder to invest your engineering crafting than it is your beam crafting. Theoretically, it shouldn't be any more difficult. Maybe the queue is slightly harder than the other ones. I don't know. If your question is, how do I today go and get a superior upgrade kit right now? Well, you can't just do it right now. Just like anything else in the game, you're going to have to chip away at it. And the best way to chip away at that is increase your crafting or get those very rare materials so that way you can trade with the crafter to do that. Or you're going to have to, the low return on investment, expensive upgrade kits. But the superior ones are meant to be really desirable, and they are. I think that we could tweak the dilithium costs, but I still don't think it's going to change the desirability of those superior upgrade kits. If we have the dilithium cross across the board, the superior upgrade kits will still be superior, um, and people are still going to want those. And so it's just, it's all relative. It's entirely relative. If everything was in half, they'd still be three times as good. That's my advice, is to get those. Or, you know what? Crafting packs are pretty lucrative, and you get accelerators out of them, which will half your dilithium cost effectively. Well, not half your dilithium cost, but will get you far more tech points when you apply them. So if you have enough of them, you can, I think they will up to half your dilithium cost. I, I, I don't want to be misquoted on that. I'm not sure exactly how fast the accelerators work, but I think they're double. Since we're talking about crafting anyway, um, how about the question that came up in our forum post for the episode, which Jesse did chime in on, but specifically asking about the option to select or customize modifiers on items that are crafted. The question being, are we going to do that or when are we going to do that? Is that? Yeah, is that something that's been considered for the future? Are we going to do it? Yes. When we're going to do it, I don't know. 
I do think that uh, it is something that we have we talked about when we were making the system that we wanted to do it and we just weren't able to do it. So it's finding the right time in the schedule to get that done. That's going to be something I think it's going to be very valuable and how we do it. We've looked at other systems like, for instance, how Diablo does their system where you pick, if I remember correctly, you pick one mod to re-roll and then you re-roll it and you get to either keep the old one or take the new one. And then from there on in, like I think uh, that one is the mod that can be re-rolled. Not the other ones get locked in or vice versa. I, I can't remember. So there's a lot of different systems and the way to do it and what's the best way to... Should it be Dilithium to do it? Should it be a microtransaction to do it? Should it just be something that you can just... Should you be able to create your items from scratch like that or should you only be able to re-roll them? I think it's a fairly in-depth design that needs to be still worked out but it is definitely something that is highly desirable and highly needed in the system so I can all but guarantee that it will happen I just don't know when we're actually down a systems designer uh, right now so we're, and we had one that we we're hiring so we're actually down two systems designers right now as far as where we want to be things are going to slow on systems until it can replace those people so any systems designers out there should apply <laughs> We also got a question from FR Toaster on our Star Trek online forum post. He said, currently we can neither craft nor upgrade kits or kit modules. Will these features be added in a future update? Oh, the ground kits. Yeah, it's a technical. It was not a design decision. That was a technical decision because the way the kit and kit modules are a new type of item that have these kind of slots in them. When you make a item in the crafting system, say I'm going to make a Mark 12 or Mark 10 or a Mark 11, or I'm going to upgrade it from an 11 to a 12 or 12 to 13. The entire item system was rewritten for this. Before, there was a separate item for the Mark 12, and there was a separate item for the Mark 13, and it was separate, or, or, or there was no 13 before. The 11 and the 12 were two separate items entirely. Now, they're all the same item. Like, all Mark 12 phaser arrays, whatever mark and whatever quality, are all the same item. And so, you can actually see this. Here's a pro tip that I haven't seen anybody notice. You take any item in the game, okay, that was before the upgrade system that you haven't upgraded. If you look at its look at say a gun, look at its DPS, and it will say it says let's say it says five twenty five. Right click on it and say upgrade, and so until the upgraded system comes up. When you do that, it converts that item from the old system to the new system. It's called dynamic items. And then look at its DPS. It'll probably say five twenty six. It'll probably go up by a point or two. So you actually get a little bit of advantage just by looking at it in the upgrade system. They'll actually all the items get a little bit better. So we just aired on everything, just making it like just a little bit better. That's because it's being converted to the new system. So like if you go and like have your quad cannon from the Defiant, if you go and just like say upgrade, it'll just actually make it just a little bit better. Um, and you don't even have to apply the upgrade; you just have to open it in the window. So all items are slowly being converted to the new system. That dynamic item system doesn't work with the technology of slots and gems, which is effectively what the kit and the kit modules are. There's just some tech limitations that I couldn't explain to you why, but they just don't work. So new tech has to be made in order to turn those things into dynamic items so that way they can be crafted and upgraded. Crafting and upgrade are the same system, effectively. Crafting just lets you go in any direction, while upgrades only lets you go one direction. So... Yes, eventually it will come. It needs to come. I, it probably will just go into the ground school as opposed to making a separate school. Maybe we'll make a separate school. I, I don't know. But um, it's a tech hurdle right now. Ward Collis wrote in on PriorityOnePodcast.com that to this day, the Romulans still only have one bridge option for all Romulan ships, where 
both Fed and KDF have tons. Bridges and interiors are expensive. I would think that it would be unlikely for there to be a new Ryman bridge or interior coming. It's not a priority for me. Like to do a ship interior actually takes one artist sixty days to do a ship interior. Not not a bridge, but an entire interior. Like say the Intrepid interior. That's two months for one artist that is out. And when there's only six, no, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, about five environment artists. It's like that's one artist. That's 20% of your art team gone for two months to do that. So they're expensive to build. The bridge is not, this bridge is about 15 days, I think, to do a bridge. So they're expensive to build. There's not a lot to do in them. So the next thing that I really want to do is I still want a, I want to redo the Fed interior. I would redo the Fed interior before we would do a, uh, a Romulan interior. Because the Romulan interior is actually really nice. You know, it's the newest one. Fed one is pretty old and dated. I want to do a generic Fed interior and I want to do a Galaxy interior. Until we have those, Star Trek is incomplete. That will come first. Side note asked, are there any plans in the future to lighten the load for upgrading items on alternate tunes, similar to the way the reputation system has sponsorship tokens? Um, I don't know. Jesse talked a little bit about that in his interview. I don't know what form that would take. I know that we've talked more extensively about doing something similar to ship mastery. So once you've mastered a galaxy, your alts can master them much faster. I'm not opposed to the idea. Just not quite sure how we would um, how we would just simply design that, let alone implement it. So, is it just once you've upgraded your first gun, then all guns are cheaper, or is it that specific gun or category of gun? What's a phaser? I don't think that it would probably happen anytime soon. I think that more realistically, we would just make overall costs just cheaper for everybody. Whatever that meant, if that meant reducing the lithium costs, reducing the upgrade costs, or availability of uh, materials, or making it easier just to get like superior upgrades. Like we've talked about, for instance, making superior upgrades just drop off of critters, yeah, randomly, slow, a small chance. So we totally hear that there's a pinch and people are feeling it, and so we will continue to address that across the board for everyone until it starts feeling better. So Al, let's talk a little bit about the future for Star Trek Online the, the, the next coming months. We've got the winter event uh, winter coming event. in just a few days, right? Just about? December 4th. What can you tell us about it? Tell us something. Tell us something. I will tell you that there will be a blog about it very soon. I Hopefully the blog will be out before the, the winter event. Is there going to be a Breen ship? There will probably be some sort of Breen ship. Um, there will be a new ship. Uh, for sure. I do not think the old ships will be available anymore. We did that for one extra year because we started the first time it wasn't part of the reputation system and the second time we introduced the reputation system so we had to leave the old ones available and something like that. What about those who slotted it but didn't finish it? Just like anything else, once you started a project, you can okay. then continue it. So once you start a project, you get to keep that project forever. So if you come to the end of an event... Don't think that you've lost out. Whatever event that might be, start the project. Just get one day in there. The next time the event runs around, then you can finish it or cancel it if you like the next prize better. Or you can finish it really fast and then start the next one. You, uh, once you get your foot in your door, you're safe. So the old ships will no longer be available. Not for this winter event. I don't know if and when they will ever come back. There will be a new ship available. It will probably be Breen-like or Breenish or a Breen-related. Uh, Tier 6? What's that? Carrier? I, I'm not going to say what it is, but yes, it will probably be Tier 6 ship. So, But I'm not going to say what kind of ship it is. There will be a new event on the winter event, and a new thing to do. Like every year we add a new thing. 
that we added the hoverboard surfboards to the summer event, right? Next year, we'll add something else to the summer event. You know, we've talked about lots of things, including things like cliff diving, talking about the summer event now, cliff diving or submarine races or scuba diving or something like that. So we've added a new thing to the winter event and the old stuff is still there and made some adjustments. There'll be new prizes, both in-world prizes and prizes to take with you. And it will run for, I don't know, from December 4th to probably early January or something like that. I can't remember how long it runs. It will run and basically then boom and then fifth anniversary, baby. Right after that, our fifth anniversary will then run. Our fifth anniversary events and prizes and mission and stuff like that. Every year there's a new nanopulse laser weapon. Every year is a different one. So this year will be a new one. Every year we change the color. Nervtonic news. Nerve, oh, oh nerve tonic news. Right. Can we get a segment for that? Let's get like a little like can I say some yeah, audio. I'm working get on some it. like dun 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 right. dun 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 dateline. That music that I put yeah. in my video. Nerve tonic news. <laughs> All right. No, a uh, little bit of thing that I've asked Jeremy to work on and we were working on it and we ran to some silly snags with it that we'll figure out, but I just want to fix it so that way um party ball doesn't cancel your nerve tonic. Yes. I saw that tweet and I was like, oh my goodness, that would be so nice. And that, you hear that trolls? You can't bother me anymore. (laughs) Well, to be fair, of course they can. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Cookie, I need you to do me a favor. Can you make a segment and then also a mockumentary about unlinking the window in the UI so I can see all my stats. We are planned an entire UI overhaul over hopefully over the next year, so it'd probably be significant UI changes in the future. It needs updating. As far as the nerve tonic, yes, we're gonna make it so it doesn't do that. The other thing we talked about doing is like turning it into a might turn it into a toggle. <gasps> it's still cancel <gasps> when you move, but right now it's a click and it just happened, right? It, it would oh. be a toggle that you'd click it and you'd turn it on and then you'd be able to turn it off again and move and then you could turn it back on again. So something like that, but have a duration on it. I don't know. We're experimenting with different things. If it's a toggle, you could turn it on, you could run somewhere and then it'd still be on and it would still keep dancing, right? Until duration goes, expires, or you transfer maps, right? In which case the toggle would turn off. So I don't know if we're going to do that. But the main thing I want to do is just make it so it doesn't get canceled by outside animations like the freeze bomb or the party bomb. So. And then the next day, you have a hangover debuff <laughs> that affects your in-game, your ground. I've wanted that, actually. I've wanted that for the longest time, to have all the foods actually do something different instead of all the foods be identical, that all the foods do a little bit something different and the alcohols, you know, like the synthahols don't, but the alcohols, the true alcohols do give you a... A little bit of a buff, and then if you have too much, a little debuff instead. That's cool. That's very cool. Anything about the fifth anniversary that you can talk about? No, just that there will be a new episode, featured episode to go with it, and lots of prizes, and it'll be a little bit bigger than last year. Uh, anniversary is a really big deal for us. We get a lot of people come back to the game, a lot of people play, a lot of people show up for the anniversary. So uh, we're invest a little bit more every time into there. So. Um, that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, this is a really big time of year for us when we get like Delta Rising and then Winter Event and goes right into the Anniversary Event and just boom, boom, boom. Lots of stuff. Well, we're glad you got to be a part of our Anniversary episode. 200 episodes. 200 episodes. Well, Al, thank you so very much. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you uh, definitely wanted to discuss that we didn't get to? Yeah, there's about 40 other things. Let's see. Let's, let's, let, me, <laughs> let me see. Let me see my notes that I took here. Just, just, I'll see if I can get through these quickly. Cookie, you wanted to know how often the mirror event runs, and now for the life of me, I can't remember, but because you thought like it was really soon, but we don't run them any more than twice a year. I think we run, is it that we run the mirror event twice a year and crystalline event twice a year, or if we just run one and then the other? So it's no more than twice a year, a minimum of once a year each, and a max of twice a year each. 
And so we rotate those out along with other events at this point. So there's always, you know, we're building a bigger and bigger library of events. And so sometimes we just have lots of little weekend events and then we have the big long, like, you know, couple week long events like the mirror events. Yes, you guys know now that the Delta marks were added to the mirror event. That was an oversight. You guys were debating on that. Yes, it was an oversight. That didn't get out of there. Let's see. What else have I got here? Yes, we're adding, adding I already mentioned that we're adding Delta marks to the Dyson queues. Skiffy mentioned that there was only six patrols and I think there's actually like 50 patrols actually in the game in Delta Rising. That's where he might have gotten the six from. Yeah, there's six wrappers that you start off with, and then in there, there are like five patrols each or something. So 30 patrols, I guess. And so but then once you've done with the wrappers, and you could do those patrols however you want, and soon they'll have much more rewards. You had asked Elijah about if you fail a queue, why do we not just have remove the cooldown? And the short answer is we actually do not have the tech to do that. You guys are speculating whether or not we could do that. So... We actually just can't do that. It's they're, they're just they're just kind of linked. Um, I don't know why. It just is, and so we need to. I'm not opposed to doing that at all. So if you fail the queue, then you can just replay it. I do worry a little bit uh, that if there's a queue going on and somebody feels like, oh, we missed the optional objective. It's not worth it. So I quit. I'd rather just quit and start over. If there's a 30-minute cooldown, it's like it's not worth quitting. I'll just go ahead and continue. But if they don't, sometimes some people will feel like, I didn't get this perfect. I'm just going to restart. Right, but now if you don't get the optional, you automatically fail it, though, in advanced and... In, in elite, yes, but not in the basic or advanced. So there's always another optional to do that becomes mandatory in elite. Plus there's also, on a lot of them, there's scaling level of rewards. So you might be doing suboptimal and you're thinking you could do a little bit better. So I worry about it encouraging people to drop and then screwing everyone else out uh, and forcing them to reboot when they were fine with it. But um, I don't know. I, 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 we might, I'm not sure. I, I think we'll probably do it anyway, but we might do it with the caveat that we might roll it back if it becomes abusive. So we have to make it so if you quit that you get lever penalty. But as opposed to failing. It's not quite cut and dry. I do agree in sentiment that we should try to do that. Speaking of penalties and speaking of working as a team, I noticed in Delta Rising there was at least one mission that had a voting mechanism if you were part of the team and who got to select what. Are we going to see more of that? Will we see more of it? There's no necessary push to do it. When we design these queues, we leave the individual designer. We say, these are the parameters. It should be this kind of thing. And you tell me what you want to do. So it's really whatever the individual designer wants to do. And whether or not players like it, then if they don't like it, then we won't do more of it. So, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Do you like it? I liked it because, you know, especially with the mission content for Delta Rising, you had a few directions you could take your character. And so if you're doing it with a team, it'd be nice to see what your other team member might have selected, and then you can either go with it or go against it. In more cases than not, though, it's really about it triggering the next part of the mission, right? Because if I do a content mission with somebody else and they're speeding through the text, at some point it might even end my text and I don't even get to finish reading it. So it'd be nice if there was like, if there was a mechanism where I had to, okay, vote that I'm, I'm in, I'm ready, I'm, I'm caught up, now proceed on to the next. You're probably going to see, you know, the need for that if your choices change the objective. You had noticed that uh, there's a lot more flavor in what the captain says now, and uh, a lot of that actually has zero impact on how it affects the dialogue or what the objectives are. Sometimes it does. 
Sometimes it does it. Sometimes it's there simply so if you want to be a sassy captain or if you want to be a flirty captain or if you want to be a mean captain or a really aggressive captain, you can just kind of pick the dialogue that you just might want to say because we want to make it feel a little more, add a little more role-playing to it. But it really doesn't change the objective. It might change the response of the NPC, but the same thing always happens. But sometimes it actually changes what happens in the mission. For I can think of one off the bat that I was just playing this weekend, the one in the Borg the Borg episode, um, the new Borg remasters, when you come across the, if you haven't replayed it, the Romulan ship, the Tal Shiar ship, who's doing distress call because they're messing around with Borg technology and the Borg are out to get them. After you leave their ship interior, you get the option to say, I'm going to confiscate this Borg material or we're going to arrest you or we're going to, it's cool, don't worry about it. I can't remember what the three options are, but it changes on what happens and whether or not she leaves, she fights with you or she fights against you. And it also changes about whether or not a Rom Republic guy will show up or something. So there's actually some things that will change based on your choices there. It's not significant. It's not like it leads to a completely different outcome. So in those cases, if it's a multiplayer, sometimes you might need a voting mech on what to say. What about just even when it's not splintered that way for when if teamed up with somebody, if they finish the text before me and then hit that final green button, it'll wait until I hit that green button too, that green text. Is there been any thought about maybe adding that type of, I guess it would be a voting mechanic to just even that, not even about branched off objectives or options, but... Just making sure that every time that you're in a group that it won't close until everybody has closed it and has accepted it. Yeah, we should do that. I agree with that. I don't know if that'll ever get updated. Old stuff will get updated because you would literally have to update all the old stuff, but... Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's probably a good observation that we should probably endeavor to do. Sometimes that often doesn't get thought about, honestly, because when you're making the mission, you're testing it solo, right? You're spending six weeks on it, and you're like, oh, like for instance, um, the last featured episode we just released, we released it, and we realized it didn't work multiplayer, even though it was intended to. There was some problem with multiplayer, so we had to launch it solo first, but then we fixed it, so now you can play it multiplayer. But it was designed entirely for solo for multiplayer. But there was a bug that, you know, a designer just simply can't test five players by himself. He just can't, and so it just got missed and overlooked. Little things like that will often get overlooked. It's easier to overlook the multiplayer stuff than the solo stuff. You mean to tell me you guys don't have two computers on and you can, can't log on the same account, two different accounts at the same time, and use both hands? Come on. We should, everyone should have five computers and have to have five hands. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just IP school you a little bit on the Aero Shuttle. You know, the Pathfinder, the, the Tier 6 Intrepid is out now. You can launch now the Aero Shuttle, and then you want to know uh, whether or not they ever showed it on screen and why did they build a Delta Flyer if they had an Aero Shuttle. Well, the news is on that. The way I understand it, what I've learned talking to people in research, is that when they released Voyager, they had put an Aero Shuttle underneath it. And from day one, you can see the Aero Shuttle underneath the saucer. And they had intended that to be their kind of runabout that would launch, and that'd be cool, their version of saucer separation. But for expense reasons or store reasons, they never got around to actually launching it. Like probably more expense reasons every time that the writers wanted to do it, it was, uh, we just, we can't pull off that effect. It's just too expensive. We don't have the model ready or the animation ready. I mean, they only launched saucer separation like three times in the whole course of the show or something like that. And course of a galaxy yeah two or three times and i think both times i did it they used the same animation right so they didn't do it but they still wanted that plot point instead they made the delta flyer by the time they were ready and they had the budget to 
launch a new super ship instead of just a little, you know, class 11 shuttle or whatever the Voyager shuttles are, that they couldn't just say, oh, yeah, we forgot. We've had this aero shuttle under our saucer for the last three years. We should just launch that one now. And Chakotay would be like, what? Since when did you have a shuttle attached to your saucer? You hadn't told me for three years, Janeway. They just kind of hand-waved it and never existed. So they said they were going to build a Delta Flyer, and that will be our MacGuffin runabout that would go and do these stories for us. So by the time they were ready to do it, they had the budget that they couldn't retcon it back in. But it was always planned to, so now we did it. So now we released it. That's something that I always wanted to do. So yeah, and you get that, and it works as a set bonus if you get the other two, including your blade of armor and the um, photonic shockwave. You get some, I can't remember what the set bonuses are. If you get all three of those, you get a set bonus for the Intrepid bundle. That's a cool little ship. It's kind of like a like an Aquarius, but less punchy and more supporty. I think we basically covered all the things that I wanted to address. Um, there was a lot of notes here, but I'm just kind of skimming through this, and I think, uh, I think we basically covered everything. The only last thing that I could add is... Uh, this is usually the part of the show, Elijah, where you say, we come to the part of the show where, Al, we turn the questions over to you. Where, is there anything else you would like to add? This time I'm prepared. I have stuff to add. <laughs> so, Al, this is the part of the show where we open it up to you. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to bring to our attention? Uh, or things that, have, um, that you've listened to throughout the last several episodes? That have got your you raised your brow. Well, that's funny that you should ask. Uh, <laughs> there was a couple of things that I wanted to just mention just real quick. Um, one of the things that we're doing that I think people will like, which kind of dovetails a little bit to stuff, the stuff we're talking about with the upgrade system, is that I am working on making uh, Mark 14 weapons actually better. And the reason is that, and Jesse talked about this a little bit, that Mark 13s and Mark 14 items are way better in the difference than they are from Mark, you know, 11 to 12 or 10 to 11. The problem is that we've discovered is that, you know, we wanted like guns to be about 30% better when they were Mark 14. And you notice that ships have about 30% increase in the T5Us and T6 ships have about 30% more hit points. The problem is, is that there's a lot of diminishing return systems in the game. And if you have max skills and weapons and if you have like four like weapon consoles, you actually only get about a 14% increase on the weapon. Now, the base item itself is still far better. The increase is still far better than the increase from, you know, 11 to 12. But it's not quite giving as much as a bonus that we would have expected to because of the diminishing return system. So we're targeting a point in between so that way if you have nothing, you have no skills and no buffs whatsoever, Mark 14s will actually be about 50% better than a Mark 12. If you have all skills and four consoles, they'll end up being about 25% better. And so if you're kind of somewhere in between, the way it averages out will be about 30% better. So this is for space. Ground doesn't have the same amount of diminishing returns. There's a little bit of skill involved, so we're going to make ground items a little bit better, but there's no consoles, so there's not as much diminishing returns taking to effect. So space weapons will do significantly more damage coming forward. So that's going to be, I think people are going to really enjoy that. It'll be much more uh, they'll see much more of a return on their upgrade investment. Other systems like shields and engines and deflectors really don't suffer from the same kind of diminished returns as damage does. There's a lot more systems going involved with damage. The other items won't need to be increased as much. So I think that will be some good news. People look forward to that. It's actually already done. It just needs to be tested with, with QA. We'll get that out soon, uh, maybe shortly after the winter event. One last thing is that we're adding, uh, I don't think this has been announced yet, 
but we're looking at adding the Borgnil processors of both cybernetic implants. Well, they already exist in the ancient alien artifacts, basically the, the elite marks from that, that we're looking at adding those to adventure zones. Already the Voth cybernetic implant you can't get from the battle zone. You can get it from killing the V-Rex, but you can't get the uh, Borg neural processor or the uh, ancient power cells. So we want to add the ancient power cells to the to the uh, Kabali adventure zone and add probably Borg neural processor, probably add it to the Deferi Borg zone. So that way solo players, another way that you don't have to just do cues, you can also get them from there. Something equivalent as, you know, in rarity as, say, killing the, uh, the V-Rex in that zone. We're not going to do anything as elaborate as make something like the V-Rex, but there's lots of places, the boss monsters, for instance, in the, uh, the Pharaoh zone. Al, just to go back just one quick second, the upgrade, when we were talking about making them better, is that retroactive? Did you say it would be retroactive? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to re-upgrade something. We wouldn't, no, of course not. Yeah, so they'll just, they'll just statistically, we'll just get better. That'll also help take the edge off of how long it, instead of making advanced critters have less hit points like we've been doing, reducing their hit points, you'll just start doing more damage to them with 13s and 14 gear. So things will be even easier again, so that way you can get finished uh, uh, advanced content and get your crafting materials. Actually, the one thing I do want to ask you is, before you go, is to talk to us a little bit about um, the different roles that people play at Cryptic Studios. Um, you are Star Trek Online's lead designer. And then we have someone like Charles Gray, who's Star Trek Online's lead content designer. You know, and then we have Maria Rosso, who's uh, an associate producer. And then Stephen Rocosa, the producer. Talk to us a little bit and, and maybe help players understand the different roles that people play. Not necessarily have to go through everybody, but, you know, your role in relation to somebody else like Charles Gray. I think we'll have to start up at one level higher to answer this question. First, we have... Stephen D'Angelo, who is the executive producer. And every executive producer has a different style, how they particularly lead, but they're basically in charge of the entire project. They're entirely accountable for everything, and they make all the high-level decisions. So Stephen D'Angelo, the EP, will decide that he's the one who's going to decide whether or not we're going to do an expansion or if we're going to do a sale or if instead we're going to do a season. So he sets the high-level framework of what we're going to do. Sometimes he gets a little more involved in things that he's invested in and says, this is how I like to see this. And so it's up to the leads to execute his direction. Below Stephen D'Angelo are the leads. And so there's, uh, there's a lead engineer, and he's in charge of all the engineers. And so he makes all the calls on code and, and stuff. Then there is a lead artist, and, uh, and so the lead artist is in charge of all the artists. The leads implement very little but give directions and sets qualities and reviews the work of everybody and makes decisions on strategies to execute the EP's vision, the EP's direction. There is a lead producer who is uh, Stephen Ricosa. Production is a tough one to put your finger on, exactly what production is in charge of. In general, production is in charge of the resource of time. You know, we had to do our expansion. Delta Rising has to go out on you know, October 14th or whatever date that we released on, and so we've got this much time, and so... The designer lead, myself, says, well, these are all the features that I would like to see get in here. And then we go reality check and say, okay, I'm going to need this much engineering time, this much 
program, you know, this much art time, this much this. You can't have that. Or you have too much time. We have, you have another thing we could squeeze in here. Or, no, you know what? I really want upgrade kits or I really want to get, uh, pick your next, select your mod for crafting or all these things. And it's like, well, if we want that, we're going to take this much time and it's going to, we're going to have to lose all this. And so the leads then decide what we want to give up and what we want to keep. So production's in charge of time and resources. Maria reports, as a producer, she reports to, to Stephen Ricosa, the, the lead producer. So I am the lead designer. And so as lead designer, I don't implement that much anymore. I don't make that many things. I used to make a lot of things as the team's gotten bigger and the team has gotten smarter. You know, I used to make all the ships, as people remember. Now Phil Zaleski, the, the lead systems designer, makes all the ships. Instead, what I do is I work with Stephen D'Angelo and Stephen Ricosa and the art lead, and we decide what is it that we want to build. So, for instance, like, number one thing is, like, I work on is, like, what's the story? And how is the story going to fit in with our strategic goals with we're going to want to sail here, we're going to sell a ship here, we're going to have an anniversary event coming up, we have the winter event, and so what's the story beats associated with all that? And then, okay, we're going to have a season here, so we're going to need a reputation system, and the reputation system has to tie into the content, so what's the reputation system going to be? So I work on all, at this point, on, on all the high-level stuff. And my job is basically going to all the meetings, brainstorming what we're going to do, and then all the kickoffs to say what we're going to do, and then reviewing all the pitches from the individual designers, and then reviewing their work. We have review playtest sessions, reviewing all their work. Underneath me are the two design leads. There's the content lead and the systems lead. And the content lead, Charles Gray, is in charge of all the content designers. Uh, so the content designers report directly to him, and then he reports to me. And um, so he... He is in charge of watching day-to-day, -day individually, the quality of... He's responsible for the quality of the content that comes out of the individual designers. He's an expert in the tools, and he's an expert in problem-solving the content tools and how to do different things in the missions and like how they can achieve the goals that I've set for us. On the system side, the same thing. Phil Zaleski is, is now an expert in the systems tools, and he is in charge of reviewing, and all the system designers report to him as far as like what the ship's going to be, what the reputation system might be, how the critters should play. Inevitably, I'm involved in anything that either the systems lead, Phil, or the content lead, Charles, is doing, but I'm less hands-on than they are. They are more hands-on. It just becomes, there's no like fine line that this is where my responsibility ends and the other person's begins. It's just kind of a blurred gradient line. And then underneath those guys are the, are the designers themselves, the systems designers, the content designers. And basically what the way we work is that the EP will say, you know what, we need an expansion or we need a season here. And then I'll work with the other leads about the magnitude of that expansion and then say, you know what, okay, I want it to be, we're going to do it about Vaudoir, and we're going to have this, we're going into the Delta Quadrant, we're doing this, and then, and then we say, okay, here's this mission. This mission is going to be about you meeting Tuvok, this is the Mindscape mission, you're going to meet Tuvok, this is going to wrap up the Undine War, and these are the story points, we're going to get, Tim Russ is going to voice this, Jesse, these are your parameters, you go and decide what it is that your mission is going to be be and then a couple days later he will pitch along with an artist this is what I want this mission to be and he'll say this is this is my idea you're going to do this and then it's going to be in a mind meld and it's going to be this and that and that, that and we either approve it or disapprove it or usually it's just we approve most of it and then we say we have 
me and Charles say we want to make these other changes, and then he goes and he makes it while Charles Gray, the content lead, oversees that. He's doing what it's supposed to be done, and if he has questions, Charles Gray can say this is how we can solve this problem, and Charles Gray will also help with outside resources such as art and code, and then I will review those along the way, but Charles will review it more daily. And that's kind of how that works. The same thing happens in systems. Maybe it's a critter group for systems or a ship or a, a lockbox or a reputation system or a fleet holding or whatever that might be. It's done exactly the same way. I need you to make the Vaudoir critter group. Come back and pitch me the Vaudoir critter group and then we'll hem-haw back and forth on that. And then when it's agreed, that goes and then Phil Zleski will oversee that, that that gets done the way it's been asked. So higher level to lower detail. I presume art works in similar ways because art has environment artists, ship artists, character artists, effects artists, and animators. So they're broken up in more departments. They have twice as many departments or groups than than design does because we only have two. Does that make sense? Is there anything else about that that I didn't touch on that wasn't clear? Like, what does Al do? Because it doesn't seem like I do much anymore, but I'm still always busy for some reason. (laughs) That was pretty detailed. You know, I think that sometimes people forget, you know, especially as the team has grown, you know, who's doing what nowadays and how the game gets developed from day in and day out. You know, who says, okay, we need an expansion. Oh, well, that's the EP. The EP decides we need an expansion. Yeah. Right. You know, um, the executives and perfect world above that sets numbers. This is how much money we need to make this year for the shareholders. Right. There's, there's a high level there. You know, perfect world is a publicly traded company and they say, you know what, this is our projections. This is how much money that we expect to make. And so Cryptic and has to deliver this much, and Star Trek has to deliver this much of that. And then we have to meet those projections, and we have those projections are set monthly and annually. And so how are we going to meet those projections? So that starts the framework at that point there. The, the strategic stuff is then figured out by the EP, and the hardest thing that I have to do is figure out the line between how much of this is my idea how much I'm going to micromanage the actual design of this particular feature versus how much should come from the individual contributor. Everybody has a different comfort zone about where they want to be. It's really easy to say, go and just make a queue and come back and tell me what your PVE queue is going to be. That would be pretty hands-off, but that's actually really hard for a designer to say, oh, I don't know. But then there's a complete extreme. It says, I want this to be a queue with the Fodwar, and there should be three stages, and then you're gonna, this is going to happen, and then you know, the Herogen are going to come in, and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you have to do that because the story beats are important for that. Sometimes you do that because a designer rather have that much input, and sometimes you go too far one way or the other. That's not good for morale or for uh, creativity purposes. So finding the right guideline on how much is it that is mine. Like, like Jesse, you had Jesse come on to talk about the upgrade system and you talked about Jeremy in your interview, your video interview with him when he went over the Intel power trees, right? Uh, all the Intel powers. Every single one of those powers was his idea with the exception of I wanted to do the Sloan power where you do the fake disintegration because that was like the only thing that I could remember from the IP. So I'm usually like, one of my biggest jobs is just IP master, making sure everything jives with the IP and how much of the IP can we get into the game, into a particular system. It says, I want to make sure this power gets in there, but and make these like spy powers, make them like James Bond powers, like Mission Impossible type powers. And he designs them all. And I approve them with others and said, yeah, this is, and the art says, yeah, we can do that. No, we can't do that. And then, okay, and then he goes and makes it, and that's it. And then that's why at this point, 
Jeremy is the one you want to talk to about Intel powers because I didn't make them. And individually, I've seen all of them, but don't remember them all in detail um, until I play them myself. Same thing with the upgrade system. All the numbers and all the values and the balancing, that's all, you know, Jesse. Some of it's coming, being dictated from myself and from the EP. So there's every system has varying amounts of input from leads um, depending on who might be invested on something at any given time. But a lot of it just comes from the individual contributors. So, Al, thank you so very much for stopping by and joining us for our 200th episode. It's been a fantastic four years of producing Priority One Podcast and playing Star Trek Online. And thank you for being a frequent guest and being our friend here on Priority One. Uh, You're very welcome. It's very much a pleasure to be here. And as long as players keep playing, we'll keep making it. As long as you keep making these episodes, we'll keep, uh, keep coming on the show. Well, captains, let's open Haley Frequencies and see what's incoming from you. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies to see what's incoming from you, our listeners. And we have uh, two very special guests with us during this feedback segment for episode 200 of Priority One Podcast. So Tony, host and producer of the critically acclaimed Star Citizen podcast titled Guard Frequency Podcast, has joined us and returned to Priority One Podcast to join us for feedback, as well as Mr. James Lee himself, the man who took the helm with me three and a half years ago for episode 33. It's been that long. It's been that long. How long? I, I did what, about 100 episodes with you? I think maybe. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think we celebrated 100 together. Yeah, so we're in, uh, you know, I'm not, not gone for good, just working on a new project, which is taking way too long to get started, but I'll keep trying. Well, we wish you the best of luck. We have listeners always asking about that project, and, and they'll get to hear your beautiful, sensual voice again. In the meantime, though, let's get to last week's community question and remind our listeners, we asked, what were their thoughts on Club 47? And due to typographical error, we asked the question again, about whether or not listeners have participated in the new upgrade system. So, James, why don't you go ahead and read our first listener. All right, our first piece of feedback comes from Saab, or S-A-B, depending on how they want it pronounced. Club 47 is a nice addition. I know quite a few are enjoying it. I'm personally a fan of action, so it's not the biggest thing for me, but I do appreciate the work and detail put into it, especially that desperate trill. Hey, don't mock her. I dated that desperate trill. <laughs> what desperate trill? I don't. What was he talking about? <laughs> you haven't been around the club. I have. <laughs> no, you haven't been around the club. Oh yeah, you're right. I haven't been around the club. <laughs> James House. <laughs> anyway, thanks for that piece of feedback. I know there are Easter eggs. <laughs> yes, there are. But I don't know There's all quite of a few eggs. <laughs> and apparently some symbiotes. Azorian also wrote into us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. In spite of all the negative things happening in STO in the last month, I have to say that seeing the return of Club 47 was a positive event. It's nice to see it feeling like a real club now and not the closet bar with version 2 or the simple bar in the original STO Earth Space Dock. And you get to be amused by the classic long restroom lines as well as the homage to Guinan. Hats for the win. And of course... It'd be nice if we could get more NPCs with lore, talking, more interaction, a fun reason to visit. Maybe they talk about something that ends up being a hidden mission. Or maybe reveal information on who these Easter egg people are. 
Most people in STO don't even know who they are. I have to agree. This is a, a phenomenal environment. It's beautiful. It's detailed. Uh, Taco Fangs spent so much time on it, so much detail. It was just the guy's talented. I mean, there's no doubt about it. His environment just continues to get better and better. Um, I really like so it. So it would really go. It would be a shame if this, if Earth Space Dock Club Forty Seven just kind of went on the wayside. They. I really hope that they utilize this space for missions and 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 like. Azurian suggested. I want to see him get his hands on the captain's table and really do something with that. Because it's such a... Yeah, I'm it's, hoping that's next in line. It's such a wasted resource. And, like, you could do something so cool with it. Like do That's anything. not just environment, though. That has to do with features, though. Like, getting involved. Like, what can be done from or, uh, Club 47 and what can be done from a space like uh, the captain's table. Now, yeah, uh, albeit, yeah, Nick is going to make it beautiful. Nick will make it absolutely gorgeous, no doubt about it, and, and definitely improve it. But functionality. I agree. You know what I think? What do you think, Tony? But just like Azurian got inspired to say a bunch of things when he walked into a cool new environment, let Nick let Nick at it and let him do stuff with it. And then I bet you you, you set a couple of devs loose in there, and I bet they find things to do with it. Oh, I just I want to point out before we get too far from the topic, uh, uh, it was confirmed uh, via the dev tracker that there is a door in Club Forty Seven that's designed to go to the captain's table, but they're waiting to hook that link up. See, see what they need to do to make the captain's table useful is do something like um, make uh, uh, tech upgrades cheaper there or something like where you go to that location and they have one thing there or one capability there that's slightly better or that you can't get anywhere else. Like, you know, if you if you do your upgrades at the captain's table, it only costs you uh, 500 dilithium per upgrade instead of 910. You know, something like that. Then it also gives people incentive to go out and get a lifetime membership. Money, cha-ching, cha-ching, cryptic, are you listening? Incentive to then actually want to go there because they'll save so much money in the long run on upgrades and everything else. It's not a shabby idea. Mighty Bob, CNC, writes in on the Star Trek Online forum post. Re-community question. Club 47 is neato. The lighting and the floor patterns remind me of programming my Arduino light strips and anything with neon saturated Tron colors is cool in my book. I am glad that they kept the old Club 47 music tracks in the rotation in addition to the new tracks. Yeah. I love the new tracks. What do you guys think of that shuffle emote? I don't think I've tried it yet. It's so hardcore. Is it? It's like you dance. Like if you want to dance, then do that emote. It, it's, like, it's almost bam. like uh, truffle shuffle. dancing mixed with seizures. Because <laughs> some some of the animation transitions are a little weird. So you'll just be like in a dance move, you and then the you'll splits. you'll seize into another different dance move. It's, wow, <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look at it more closely. I think. Let's talk about upgrading Cookie. Lee Malin commented on Priority One Podcast Patreon page. Guys, great episode. Due to the cost demands and the amount of time I now have to play, I have limited myself to trying to rep up my main tune and upgrade all the gear on one ship. At the moment, this is taking some time and resources, and I think of myself as an experienced gamer who invests a minimum of two hours daily in the game. Cost of packs, resources are too high and not accessible by all for EC as the game doesn't provide easy gains of EC unless you are a master of the exchange or have real cash to buy Zen and purchase the gear that sells for millions on the exchange. Well, hopefully, like we mentioned earlier, we're going to see a drop in the cost of superior tech upgrades as now they have cut the rare material requirements by more than half. So that'll be, that'll be exciting. 
our next piece of feedback here. Let's see. This comes from Decker73. He wrote in, great episode and amazing interview. As a player with limited playtime, but a lot of characters, 14 to be exact, I'm excited for any changes coming that would make it easier to upgrade equipment on alternate characters. I loved the reputation sponsorship system, and I agree with that, when it came out. I think something similar for the gear upgrade system would be a great step in the right direction. I really enjoy the new R&D and item upgrade systems. I agree with that, Decker. I, you know, many, many people we want to see the price of the upgrades drop in dilithium. Um, you know, and they're, I think they're finding ways around this. And I just, you know, it's funny. I just had a huge like 15-minute conversation with Tony and uh, Dr. Rob a few minutes ago about all this. And there's really, really a lot of. It just showed me just even between the three of us how many different views there are on this subject on whether or not it's correct the way they did it or it's not, and if the price is right or it isn't. It, it's pretty interesting. So. Um, you know, I feel for Cryptic in one way because it's one of those situations where you're never going to make everybody happy and you still have to run a business. Um, but at the same time as a player, yeah, it's really expensive. I've dumped like 80 bucks since uh, the upgrade system came out and I literally have two epic pieces to show for 80 bucks, two. And $10 was one of those. One gear upgrade to, to epic for $10. That's 157,000 dilithium for one gold piece. That's harsh. That's, that's pricey. Yeah, the epic stuff is definitely on a whole other level. Yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what they're going to do with that, and you know, because I'm I'm sure they want to try and keep elite pieces elite, just that hard to get, you know, so that not everybody has completely all gold across the board. But at the same time, there are those of us who are putting a lot into that system, a lot of real money, and we want to see some return for all that money. So we'll we'll see what they come up with. James, we have got to get you your own show. Thank you. That, that was wow. You've, you've missed talking about this, haven't you? I have. Um, I just want... I just... Excuse me. Excuse me. Before you inflate his head further, okay? He ha- he always has a one in a million shot, okay? He always has like about a one in a million shot, okay? So, so keep it down, Tony. Keep it down. Whoa, look who's jealous to not be in the limelight. So, Mosul33 commented on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode about the EC problem. It wouldn't be a problem if the dilithium cost weren't a problem, and you could actually use the green and blue text without going bankrupt on dill. If the dilithium costs could be scaled down when using any tech, including greens or blues, there wouldn't have been too much pressure on getting only the best techs, aka very rare, ultra rare, and thus not the pressure on EC either. The point is, because of high dill price, you are forced to use the best tech only in order to not feel like you're throwing your dilithium out the window. You know, I liked, uh, I really liked James's idea about going into the, the captain's table for a discounted cost on things like the superior, or even discounted costs to craft the superiors. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to our Vera about this when the crafting system was first introduced, um, that, you know, like in other games, you can go to an area... And you will see a either an increase in the chance to crit on the craft, or some kind some type of a bonus. So, you know, if they want a way to, to sell the, those lifetime subscriptions, I, this is the way to do it. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, I think Tony had the idea before that uh, when they pulled, um, oh, what was the crafting center before? That's not live anymore. Memory, memory Alpha, Alpha. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When they pulled no, Memory Alpha, that was a good use for that uh, space. I gave them that idea a long time ago, and they still haven't acted on it yet. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. 
It's still out there. They can still have it. It's still theirs for the for the taking. The downside of using captain's table for it is that it becomes a rich get richer. Yeah, like exactly. You know, you, you have the lifetimers who are already like the space one percent, and then they can craft things cheaper or upgrade things cheaper. So it it concentrates wealth. Which <laughs> welcome to America. Exactly. We're back to memory alpha. We're back to memory alpha again. I'm telling you. Or here's something that I've always thought about the captain's table. Let lifetimers in. Uh, let lifetimers summon people who are partied with them. There you there. go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See? There you go. Oh, no, that's social. That's social right See? there. Yeah. See? There's a way everybody... I like it. Yeah, I like it. So I try and come back for one episode every now and then and solve all the game's major problems in one blow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm too busy for that. I'm solving some other game's problems these days. So, you know, whoa, just do swamped. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Leave it to James. <laughs> Uh, RTK142 says via PriorityOnePodcast.com, first up, want to say congrats on reaching 200 episodes. I would like to echo that sentiment personally. Congratulations, everyone. Well Thank done. you. I've, well I've worked hard. Uh, not you, <laughs> Hold on. I want to say something here, actually, about this. This is a good time to say, is that, quite honestly, um, 200 episodes, that's a lot. It's huge. Um, that's a lot of episodes. And, and this team that's here, including Brandon, who was here earlier, and, of course, Dr. Robert Hurt, I mean, this is the team that put it together. You know, this is, these are the, this, this, I'm going to get emotional here because it's been 200 episodes, but, you know, we wouldn't have gone here if it hadn't been for each and every one of you, including you, James, um, and for everything <laughs> that each one of you have, has, has contributed. So thank you. Thank you for the hard work that each of you has done um, that has devoted into this. Whether or not you're still hosting now or hosted before, Priority One wouldn't be what it is today had it not been for the dedication and the devotion that each one of you in this room has poured into. I think what you're saying is without you, none of this, none of this would be possible. Would be possible. <laughs> right. yeah, okay. I, th- I, th- I thought that's what you were saying. <laughs> well, RTK142 has more thoughts, and they're good ones. And he goes on to say, I've really been enjoying the show when I get a chance to listen. Next up, I'd just like to mention, if I could, that for me, I always find the dilithium refining cap to be frustrating. Getting all that ore is well and good, but deciding if I want to spend it upgrading my fleet or upgrading my gear is crazy making. I get that it needs to be controlled, but really, 8k is nothing compared to all the places we need to spend it. I still think a bump to gold and lifetime members would be fantastic. Keep free to play, 8k, bump gold up to 12k, and lifers to 16,000. It'd be that much more of a perk to sell those life subs and would make it easier to get the lithium for yeah. the gear upgrades. Yes! It's interesting how we've gotten so much feedback about the lifetime subscriptions. I wonder if a I lot of people bought them so this time. so much, so, so much. You know, I wonder, do you think it would negatively impact things if they allowed unrefined dilithium to be donated to star bases? Like, for any other purpose, you would still have to refine it. But oh. what if you could donate unrefined to your star base? I thought about that. Because that is a big issue for me. My fleet admiral is always like, oh, we need this much more dilithium. And I'm like, oh, but I need it for myself. And it's like, it's such a, it's always a constant battle with me. What if you could, what if you could donate the unrefined dilithium to the star base and the star base would refine it at a set rate? That's not bad. See, too. that would be cool. That would yeah, solve would withdraw- a lot of problems. No, you don't, because it's just no, no, no. as it's refined, it gets contributed to whatever open projects are in the starbase. Oh, I see you. what you're saying. I see. Yeah, yeah. I one thing I love that they did a while back, and you guys probably talked about it on the show or something, but um, I love when they added the uh, extra fleet marks 
um, queue. You know, the actual where you could just dump fleet marks, like just a mass fleet marks dump. That oh, yeah. was awesome when they added that because we were having so many problems. People would call me all the time as the fleet out. I'm going to be like, hey, man, because we're topped out in everything in our fleet. So people can't get rid of their fleet marks fast enough. They're like, hey, can you start this up? Or, or hey, why can't we fill these out? Or, hey, we, we need to close these so we can get more. I got fleet marks, fleet marks, fleet marks. When they added that, my life got exponentially easier to just have these huge fleet dumps that we just constantly have going now. Here, dump them there. It's great. The stuff, so stuff like that could be really useful. Um, and, and I like that idea with the dilithium. That could be really helpful towards a lot of projects. All right, we talk about crafting up next. Cookie, why don't you uh, tell us about our next contributor? Ward Callis writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I think crafters should be able to craft tech manuals. For example, a projectile tech manual, once used and consumed by the character, will increase projectile tech points gained from upgrades by a third. So... Plus one point for every three gained. This would also reduce the cost by an additional one point for each character on the account that has learned this manual capping once it's at plus one per point. So effectively double. To prevent this from being abused, I think you shouldn't be able to use the manual until you have at least one crafted Mark 14, the manual type on that particular character. Hmm, interesting. Not a bad idea. This this could maybe be adapted into something kind of like sponsorship tokens, mm-hmm. but for upgrades. Exactly. Which, yeah, something along those lines. That's what I was hearing. Mark Case writes in via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Just wanted to add that this was a great podcast and that the interview was badly needed. If not to try to put out the flames, then at least give an insight on how the devs are looking at the crafting system. Change is hard, especially for players like me, who were once Top Gun level 50 with purple Mark 12 gear and an armada of fleet lockbox ships. We're now forced to share the backseat with the quote-unquote common folk having to level up to 60. Our somewhat elitist attitude has come around a bit as hard, and I guess that's where a large part of the anger is coming from. I don't mind having to invest time to level up, as that's a standard rule in any MMO, but many players don't have the luxury to play two hours plus every day trying to manage their alts, crafting, farming, and oh yeah, play and enjoy the Delta episodes. Many players, again, like me, love their ships and swap ships and loadouts to fit the mission or just to experiment. That has been taken away from us, as now we're forced to focus and specialize on just one. I'm sad about stories. You can't The level gap on the stories is the thing that really, really sticks in my craw on this on the expansion. The, the uh, gate? It took me a week before I could play the, the the new mission, the new surprise mission. Yeah. Yeah, I, the, the level gating stuff doesn't make any sense to me at all. Sano Skyrat commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, The arrow shuttle, or arrow wing, was never used because it was felt that it was too close to the captain's shuttle. It was also based on the runabout and would have used the same set, but it didn't look aerodynamic enough, so they made the Delta Flyer which is kind of fun when you rewatch Paris talking about the Delta. That was a good episode where they introduced the Delta Flyer, where they build it. That was a great one. I think that's in reference to something Elijah said. All right. The Loot Critter commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Another great episode. It's great to hear they're dropping costs and looking at a discount policy towards multiple alts. Infamous infographic, Snicker. It did exactly what it was intended to do. It confirmed what many have been experiencing. Uh, It forced Cryptic to talk more about costs and multiple alts, something that up till now they've ignored publicly. Where you might not have agreed with the concept or format, it certainly got the conversation rolling. We paused production on the next infographic because of the price reduction, and we'll update 
the IG to reflect the new changes, as he said. Everything is in a state of flux. We want the game to succeed, we're fans, but to be successful they need more planning and more interaction with the state of the player's game. As he said, you're not screaming into a vacuum, and that's awesome. Our voices, and yours as well, the many on the forums, Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, do make an impact. I like this guy. Yeah, I agree. It's been a great interaction. I know, starting off, like some of our comments about the infographic were somewhat negative, and I really appreciate that you rolled with that, and I agree. It was a great conversation starter. And it served as one of multiple different info points that we could use to try to analyze and see where the pain points are for people. So appreciate the feedback. Yeah, I saw the, I saw the infographic. It was very I thought it was very well done. You know, you can disagree with the numbers in it or the concept or the an angle he took it. You know, from from analyzing it. But I mean, he was he, he was deliberately tossing a grenade out there and seeing seeing what would happen. And uh, you need to do that every once in a while. Well, Captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show, so please keep them coming. You can reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One, or shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Admirals, that wraps up the 200th episode of Priority One Podcast. Be sure... To catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And don't miss our videos from our trip to Cryptic Studios by heading over to youtube.com forward slash P, the number one network. And of course, you can visit priorityonepodcast.com for all of our content. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comments section on our site or on the Stowe Forum post for this episode. What was your favorite part from this episode? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online Forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. With your support, we've already hit our monthly running costs, and we are so very grateful to all our patrons. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen, the best damn space sim podcast ever. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. It's a pretty good show. You should really check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon Fleet Division. Warriors of Priority One, today is a good day to join. Kapla, everyone! (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I remember that guy. I remember that guy. A big thanks. To Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for joining us on this very special episode. And thanks to our guest hosts this week, Dr. Robert Hurt, James Lee, 
Tony Hunter, and the man who started it all, Brandon Felcher. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy and Ben Churchill, and to support staffer Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, and to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To our video editor, Jerry, and writer of our new prelude dramas, Jake Morgan. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic, Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to each and every one of you listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Hailing frequencies open. No response to hails. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Phasers locked. Torpedoes loaded. Engage. Alright, Captains, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies to he- what? Do you hear- anybody hear that? Is something- is something coming through? Hold on, I'm uh, trying to boost the gains. Uh, Hello! Where are we? Uh, we're here. We're, we're, we're here. We're definitely here. I know they can hear us. They're pretending they it's, can't, but I know they can hear I'm us. Red alert! We have... What is it? Intruders. We're intruders. <laughs> we're intruders, Elijah. <laughs> Re- intruder you have alert. To push your finger off of my mouth. Red- Whoa. Red Whoa. We have what intruders have we on the bridge. <laughs> I need to see. Well, captains, uh, admirals. Well, admirals, we have uh, two very special guests with us uh, during this feedback segment for episode 200 of Priority very One Podcast. Very special. Two uh, very, very. Uh, I don't even know what to describe. How to describe them? But extra super double special. Extra super double special. Due to typographical error, we asked the question again about whether or not you, whether or not the your typographical error. What I was gonna say was not. It was back, kind of rewind, back when we were talking about taco things. I saw this when it was first born. Well, maybe not when it was first born, but I saw the concept of it when I was visiting Cryptic before all the stuff was in there. It was just the main structure, and he showed it to me, and I was like, wow. But looking at it now, it's amazing how much he, how much work him and Hector put into it. Or I don't know if Hector. I don't know. I, well, him and Hector were talking about it. Hector Ortiz. Never mind. Just cut this out. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna so, go on this rant. Tony, it's all part of the fun of the live so show, Tony, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Tony, I'm gonna do, do like a five-minute rant and then just tell you to cut it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I don't know it's anybody like, else that does that. But it's, I saw it. I saw it at Cryptic ear. before it was born, and it was it was cute. But now it's what beautiful. Cookie's saying is she's cooler than everybody listening to the yeah, show. Yeah, mm, yeah she's and she's you know awesome. that's okay because you get the so end. So you result, could have basically but, summed you know, that up just... with neener neener. whatever oh crap i forgot we were live and everybody can hear me i can't go Uh, so good because some some of the animation transitions are a little weird so you'll just be like in a dance move and then you'll you'll seize into another different dance move wow (laughs) you're pretty wild (laughs) yo yeah baby you like that oh yeah i call this the epileptic all right come on i'm gonna have to look at it more closely (laughs) i think that's another one i'm gonna have to cut it's, it's the latest club. <laughs> so let's talk about... It's epileptic. Boogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> let's talk about upgrading Cookie. You can reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot us an email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com and we'll save a Cation Kitten for every time you do. Oh, we're saving Cation Kittens now. Boy, that's a policy change. Oh. As I say, that's a policy change. <laughs> when did that come in effect when I left? <laughs> yeah, Sarah McLaughlin stopped by and told us to stop. This is Jace, Star Trek Online News, Sync 3. Skiffy. This is Skiffy, Stow News, Sync 5? 4. 4. Brandon? This Brandon, I don't know what the hell this is. All right. Stow News <laughs> in 3. Well, I, Brandon, I thank you. I wasn't s- finished. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I keep forgetting we're live. This is uh, closing in three, two. Well, admirals, that wraps up the 200th episode of Priority. I just scared the shit out of my cat. <laughs> <laughs> he was like running behind me. Use your like, inside oh, God, voice, what? Elijah. Your inside voice. Well, captains, I'm scaring the crap out of Cations. <laughs> Whatever, this is a weird sentence. Before we wrap this show, we'll open healing frequencies for your incoming messages. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Let me just do it again. No, it was Thanks fine. to it was the support the of loyal listeners like This week a special th- Okay, this week we offer thanks <laughs> It this never week. gets old. Never <laughs> gets old. This week we, we give thanks. special thanks. It doesn't have special thankful <laughs> things that we thank we thankfully give thanks for in this special day. And we're so thankful for how special it is. <laughs> Don't oh laugh. I love it. Elijah. This captures Elijah to a to I a love this. <laughs> so good. All it's missing is the sound of him dragging somebody into studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Elijah, remember what you said when you hit level 60? What did oh, I say? What? Finally, say, no, I'm oh, kidding. Now, now what? <laughs> now what? Now what do I do? I'm bored. <laughs> That's what he said. No, no, because so I did, so I'm <laughs> did, done did, with did all you, the- did, did, Is that what you said? No, he, that's that not what is I said. what he said. <laughs> She's totally no, lying. No, he didn't say that. Out. <laughs> She's throwing me under the bus. No, I, you know, it was- <laughs> Winter event, what can you tell us about that? Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, before we jump into that. <laughs> well, he brought it up! <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> off track, off track, tangent, tangent. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's all I got to say about that. All right. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> that's all, all I have to say about that. Is that all? Um, 
Skiffy's in vac- on vacation. He was like, "How dare you make try to even consider me working?" This isn't on work. Thanksgiving. This isn't work. Weekend. <laughs> this is this is labor of love. This is I, fun. <laughs> we do this for fun. Tell yeah. him that. <laughs> and he says oh. hi. By the way, he does say and hi. He, he says hi. Hi, Skiffy. He said yesterday I purchased uh, or upgraded fifty ships. To do my part for keeping the company going. <laughs> you bought 60 upgrade Thank tokens. Thank you for paying for my vacation. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ben, Ben, our Australian audio editor is going to be, because he doesn't celebrate, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving down there. You see, I have, I have this, this place on lockdown. I know who I got from <laughs> where. And, you know, the UK, haha, not the same holiday. <laughs> you have to work. But, um, can't, all right, can't, so, but you can't work on like kangaroo day or something, right? No, right, right. Australian Day. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, Ben. (laughs) I'm sure they have some holiday that's like, we have a turkey day, they have a kangaroo day or something, right? I don't know. I think it's an emu day. (laughs) No. I'm pretty sure they do eat kangaroo. No? No. Well, there are people who do. Is kangaroo not an endangered species? No, they're not endangered. But I think eating kangaroo in Australia is like us eating possum. Is it? Oh, okay. I, I don't think it's mainstream. I could be wrong. I would equate. I thought it would be more like dog. Don't doesn't everybody have kangaroo, like a kangaroo right? in their backyard? That's what I figured. I would. I would totally would have a kangaroo if I was in Australia. Either that or a exactly. koala. That would be wrong to eat. Oh my god! <laughs> I apologize to for 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 to all my ben. Australian friends out there uh, for if I if I've offended anybody. I'm, I everyone oh, knows man. I don't eat anything because I'm because I'm vegan and all I eat is like salad, right? So. <laughs> you eat, eat like, like a, a koala. koala. I just, I just, just, yes, a plate full of eucalyptus, eucalyptus leaves, right? leaves. And see, now we have to put all this in the bloopers, except for the apology part. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! There's a such thing as kangatarianism. Kangatarianism. Just eat kangaroos. Really? Well, it's the only meat they eat because I guess they have a very low environmental impact compared to cattle and stuff. But I'll, I'll leave that behind. Is that really a thing? Did you just make that up? Yeah, is it no, called kangaroo? So they do eat it. So they probably so they do have it. Well, it's it's. Uh, they have it's a day? Like fourteen percent of people eat it. That's a lot. Yeah, that's not bad. It's uh, more common among the uh, indigenous people. Oh, okay. The Aborigines. I remember. I remember history. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, You're 30 now. You Q, remember history because you were there. Oh, what's the name of that Quickly instrument? Didgeridoo. Q didgeridoo. Oh. All right, so we're talking about <laughs> alt tunes. <laughs> How's that? That was my piece. My, it was pretty my, good. Yes. It was pretty good. All right, so this is the this is the PC portion of the show. There will. Uh, what was I supposed to remember to say? <laughs> <laughs> I said 